0: Do dee do do dee do 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 Dooder do 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 dee do you can ponder perpetual motion. fix your there's an ear for what you say. Come on, the rising wind. We're going up around the bend. Yeah.
1: Welcome to The Kingless Generation, a podcast on the deep history of class struggle, paleo-parapolitics, and the demonology of capital. I'm your host, Fergal Schmudloch and... It feels like it's been a while, and, and at the same time, it doesn't. I've been doing a lot of guest spots, different places, so look forward to those. Those are all with people who are much more organized than myself. They live better lives, so those might not come out for a while yet here. Uh, but I myself, I'm kind of always just recording. You're basically getting it live uh, half the time. Today, it's a very rainy day here in Tokyo. And I hope you've been kind to one another. I hope you've reached out. I hope you've been talking to people. I hope you've been organizing. Today I have for you a fantastic conversation that I had with a brilliant podcaster named Marcus. Marcus is also a natural farmer, done natural farming all different places around China. He was also ordained as a monk in the Pure Land School of Buddhism in China. And he has done his natural farming in different places in Europe as well. He's originally from Sweden, but he found his way back to Europe uh, where I think what happened is that he got married to a Japanese woman. And he has now found his way here to Japan So, uh, and is now podcasting a brilliant podcast kind of actually on psychology of class struggle and psychology of... Talking about like how did Jim Jones manage to do what he did, and he brings in all this wonderful archival audio that's just fantastic. Uh, and like me, he, you know, Marcus is very interested in sort of what are ways in which more positive actors could access these same sorts of power to bring about revolutionary change in relations of production that would bring us to a more healthy, sustainable human world like what we know uh is is much more normal much more than what we have today this careening hellscape and uh you know tidal wave of class struggle that we find ourselves in uh let's get right to it with marcus of the podcast return of the repressed i think spotify is the best place to listen to that that i see but here we go
2: you're Uh, in kyushu now No, 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 no. We, I think we we've, we've decided basically to stay in Nagano. I think we okay. went up to Chino. Uh okay. You know where? Do you know where Suva Lake is? No. Like the biggest uh, lake in, in Nagano. It's close to Okaia. Yeah. Um mm. Atsumino. Maybe it's like the most famous or Matsumoto. Like there's a castle. You know where the first Aum bombing was? Like before oh, they bombed no, in. in uh, yeah, it's crazy. I didn't know that. No. Somebody told me like that they were gonna set up an interview with me with the police officer who was in charge of uh, the, uh, the the bombing because it's strange, mm. right? Like that they didn't really get the connection until like after the Tokyo bombing, even though it was pretty like flamboyantly clear that it was the Aum. I think they even said, really? you know, we did it or something. Yeah. Oh, they did. It's claim very it. Okay. Mm. That's what I remember. Uh, mm. There was a lot of like. They, they, at least they, you know, they suggested I should talk oh. to this uh, police officer and talk to him because there was a lot of shady stuff like uh, surrounding that whole thing. Um, oh, well, that's perfect. You I mean, can be I was... on the
1: ground, you can actually do the, right. you know, the gumshoe <laughs> yeah. work there.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that'd be cool, but I need a translator though. Like, I, I, I don't speak as mm-hmm. good Japanese as you do, so I wouldn't. Be you able haven't to been here that. very long. No, I, I haven't You have been, so... you have been all over excused. the place. So, for my listeners,
1: I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Well, how do you want to do this? Do you want to like introduce yourself? Uh what explain like what was it that brought you here and like how are we how are we talking
2: together right now? It was Keith Allen Dennis, right? He said it like when I I did like some rant about uh like the Halo 2 uh, uh like not civilization but like the experimentation with uh, sedentary uh, lifestyle like mm. in the north of Israel there like 20,000 years ago or something. Yeah. Um and I had a small rant about it. And then he was like, oh yeah, you seem to like, like paleo uh, class dragon. Like you should listen to Faragos show. Like and then, yeah, yeah, I like, All yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's what we do. Yeah. 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 That's a good, it's your neologism. Like, did you get come across that term? Like in, in academia? I've never seen it. you been paleo, used before. No, it's, no. It's, it's, I, cre- I think a, that might a, be a neologism. Um, paleo
1: parapolitics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I kept thinking about that's, this moment. Word. If, if, Human beings were at some time just a. Even if we're a violent species, even if we're an animal that you know kills each other and whatever, uh, fights over own... resources. Yeah, it's not. We, yeah. It's it's a, some kind of jump there. There's some. There is some kind of moment. You know, I mean, I guess this is the kind of question that the Davids in the Dawn of Everything are keen to disavow. They're keen mm-hmm. to disavow right. the idea of any kind of change or beginning uh Mm. of anything um and yet they sort of say well but but how did we get stuck right their way of defining Uh it is just that we're stuck in doing one thing and that's the actual problem yeah that's a term for that moment paleo parapolitics i suppose
2: yeah how did it's a good one no thank you i like it yeah thank you it's good so like that whole thing is mysterious or mystic even like mystic even so yeah i don't know like you know because it's like I mean, David and Grave, they, they refuse to use the word uh, state, right? And then they go on mm. to talk a little bit about. I, I don't feel like they really fully elaborated that, but I saw that. Uh, what's his face? Uh, uh, Matt Chrisman, when we, he was doing something on his Kush vlog, like he, he was did going that, through the whole yeah. book. Yeah. And um, uh, there was one book he said that he was going to read after because he was getting interested in the whole. Uh, ritualistic aspect of the commodity like how the commodity Mm -hmm. or like the pre-capitalist commodity must have begun with some kind of you know metaphysical charge of some kind right like like that that an object suddenly right yeah i mean even zizek talks about it in the i think it's the second film he does in his perverts uh, guide to ideology you know when he goes with the kinder egg he's like kinder Uh surprise egg an extraordinary commodity (laughs) <laughs> and then he's like
1: <laughs> oh, it is I don't funny. know like,
2: yeah and he's like uh, what does he say he says you know like it was already Marx who long ago pointed out that, that a commodity is not just an object that you acquire and then consume it is actually something you know filled with yeah, metaphysical mm. niceties and, and you know it's like I mean just look at how people keep the boxes of their iPhone right like it's uh, to mm. remember kind of like that primordial state of the commodity when it's just in circulation and the it's unboxing like it's
1: an actual video as a yeah yeah, yeah yeah the video is a the unboxing video is like where they going you know, crazy. celebrate a, a ritual. Yeah, That's a ritualization definitely. of that moment. Yeah. Um, is it and like a no, maybe it's about that. but yeah. I we like, could connect you know you... this I think I'm getting the most out of like just getting into anthropology and archaeology as colonial mm. as it is and I have to you know question that yeah. a lot but um, hmm. reading sort of the most materialist of the uh, anthropologist archaeologist Brian Hayden, uh, mostly,
2: hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, what What has he written? Um, I remember that name, but
1: yeah. Um, so the power oh. of myth in prehistory is the most recent one from maybe twenty twenty one. Okay. And uh, is that yeah, the one that's that about this uh, society. And... is referring to. I do not know. I'm sleeping. I've actually been yeah. sleeping on Matt Chrisman. I'm realizing. Yeah, I I, don't, I only watched it because this I was reading a, Graeber and then I saw that he was actually, doing that. So. Yeah, he did do that. I saw that he did. I got to get into that. I well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I wouldn't be surprised if Marx uh, was also aware of, he had in mind when he wrote that, some of the anthropology that he was reading for, for the notes. He wrote the outline to the birth of the family, private property in the state. Oh, yeah, yeah, so, with, with
2: Engels. The, yeah
1: yeah Engels ends up writing it.
2: I mean in, he's in everything but know. like but, usually like they seem yeah. to credit him a lot to that one. Like mm-hmm, yeah when they mm-hmm. go into the na- native uh, yeah. americans. Well be, he he does lineages, Mar- so. he does say that Marx was
1: Marx created the outline as well so the, I mean it's a it's a continuum but yeah. anyway that uh Such they were friend. definitely reading a lot of they're great friends they're buddies they're the best buddies <laughs> yeah. they're always yeah they shared yeah. a toothbrush even so what can you say Yeah it's um, crazy man yeah. Like so uh, much
2: better than, than Jung and Freud, right? Like like mm. Engels just gets it exactly what Marx wants to do. And he's like even sometimes he gets it even better than Marx and he just assembles Absolutely. his stuff and you know, does all the groundwork. And then you have like Jung and Freud and <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> Oh, I don't agree with your general thesis. I'm just gonna mm. take your fame and, you know, just see what we can do with this in just another run way.
1: With it. Yeah. Yeah, that reminds me of um the the first two playwrights of the no theater, uh, Zeyami and uh, Zenchiku. Komparu Zenchiku oh. comes from a, a lineage that, if anything, is is more prominent, a no lineage than Zeyami, who's maybe like mm. becomes... He's the one that first attracted the attention of the shoguns,
2: right? Okay, so, so this is pay- like Kamakura period poetry or what is it um, uh, is Slightly after, so Tokugawa. Ashikaga,
1: right, Muromachi no. period, uh, but yeah, basically medieval period. And um, Mm. yeah, the Ashikaga shogun's Ashikaga Yoshimitsu uh, sort of falls in love with and and according to disapproving courtier diaries, had a uh, love affair with the young boy, Zayami, who was maybe like, you know, 12, 13 Mm. at the time. And um, yeah, disapproving because of the class difference, actually, not because of the homosexuality, but he uh, attracted shogunal patronage. And so he became a very important figure, but actually Zenchiku had belonged to a more prominent and ancient lineage within the art form and okay. uh Zenchiku ends up marrying Zayami's daughter and Zayami mm. sort of uh b- the standard narrative is that Zayami bequeaths a lot of his treatises actually to Zenchiku and mm-hmm. Zenchiku becomes in a way his real heir but that's that's that too is a bit of a modern narrative because in fact the uh the Zayami's no lineage continues on without him. After this is a like a, of,
2: It's a Buddhist yeah. school, or it's just like a, a like a mystic group of writers, or what, what, yeah. What's it's not directly.
1: Conti- uh, if anything, it's connected to the Kasuga Shrine, uh, but there's no clean distinction between Buddhism and Shinto at this time. Right. Uh, you know, they yeah. would have a a festival in front of a pine tree, particularly there at. Uh, Kasaga Shrine. Um, hmm. Zayami is a great yeah. example of a figure in that way who's like in great decline at the end of his life, actually. When you really mm-hmm. look at it. And, and actually, most of his treatises he's writing, probably not knowing if anything that he's done or accomplished will ever be appreciated by anyone. Yeah, because okay. he, yeah. the shogunal succession passed him over, in fact. And so uh-huh. the, the, the next shogun actually was not into. The, the no theater of his type at all, right?
2: And does he do the same thing that like a lot of uh, poets mm-hmm. and writers do at that time? Like they kind of want to like thoroughly disassociate themselves from their bureaucratic uh, structure. Like they might start off as a clerk of some kind, uh, gaining literary proficiency. And then they just do, because I know like right after Kamakura that also the time in China, at least the 1300, right? Like beginning of Song Dynasty, you have this trend of... Oh. Uh, like the river and mountain period of poetry uh with um like there's a big trend of like people moving because song dynasty is like the beginning of the bureaucracy ah. right like around there, 1300 okay. and so there's like a cool you know the the only way to be like a cool poet is to kind of be like a beat beat poet and so you leave the, the you've been right. a clerk or you've been a bureaucrat you've done you know all the uh official exams and everything and then you just go mm-hmm. you know whatever <laughs> i'm gonna go drink right. baijiu and just you know or at least you write about it livers. you might
1: not even leave the city but you're right about doing that yeah and you write yeah, about ancient ancient it. forebears who did it as well and it's not even mm-hmm. clear if you can prove yeah. that uh there was such <laughs> yeah. a mountain dwelling figure even right uh, yeah, yeah a lot of the zen stories actually come from that sort of tradition in china uh, Japan, does, I would huh? say it's a very different situation because you actually have these, um... yeah, the book Patriarchs on Paper gives kind of a critical look at uh, the formation of a lot of these Zen dialogues. But So uh, performing arts in shrines were uh, usually done by actually very kind of outcast class people, people right. in a sort of asylum status, uh, people yeah. who would take it's... care of corpses, people who would clean yeah. up uh, riverbeds. Uh, deal, dealing with death, dealing with really unclean things, but then that. that yeah, they will have also a word for a the sacred Kind of, they, yeah. They, they
2: have their own word, right? I can't remember mm. what it is, but it's like even lasted until yeah. today. Yeah, eta the, like there's a. Like
1: a... Hinin, yeah, mm. Would be the really kind of shocking word that you don't want to say. Yeah, um, yeah, a, yeah right? a, a euphemism would be like buraku, right? And you could still, yeah, you oh. could totally get. Yeah, sued the buraku in class. Civil That's right. For like that, that... outing someone as. Budaku class.
2: Um, oh, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, didn't you talk about that in one of your episodes? I think, like, you know, that officially, like, it. this was sold uh, disqualified, but that there was, like, a kind of backdoor register because they have historical mm-hmm. value, right? Like, those old uh, records. So, I mean obviously then you know all you have to do is just be somewhat influential and then go ask a scholar and be like can I see the Buraku uh, register? Yeah. and then be like well it it says <laughs> yeah. it on old
1: maps too uh, and google was right yeah that's what you said maps, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah yeah and they were just putting mm-hmm. them up and it said you know Hinin or whatever in certain mm-hmm. areas so yeah, that actually
2: is like, that.
1: that would be sort of grounds for a civil civil suit here. To yeah,
2: yeah. That. I think that part is really cool because that's got like, uh, you know, like how feng shui is like really cool today. Like it's kind oh, of Taoist, yeah. you know, like how to yeah. do your interior design. But it didn't start mm. off as like an interior design thing. It was a kind yeah. of uh, like a um, provincial landlord way of how to organize a city so that you had like, you know, the slums in the right place and that rich people didn't have go have to go through yeah. you know like the 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 lower class areas where the demons lived and where there would be bad energy and stuff it's like oh, a completely like wow. class hierarchical uh, ideology and if you look at hong kong today oh. it's got like they also used feng shui to, to do similar things over there uh oh, wow. and they also have that stupid you know like you know the bottle opener that they introduced now in shanghai that's the first feng shui yep. building i think what's a bottle because opener that's oh it looks it's yeah, a building you, that looks like a it's bottle it's got opener? the whole yeah, and the whole... is supposed oh, to be, you know, one. the feminine yeah, yeah. openness that allows the dragon to pass through. And so it's uh, like, you know, kind of feng shui uh, hail to, well, you know, mm-hmm. duality of the masculine and feminine or whatever. Like, uh, right. I don't know. They, but they, it actually
1: they, has roots they, in, like, gentrification. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Urban, <laughs> urban development Not, politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to make sure that you, you know, that you don't have to go through a ghetto. Like, let's say there's somebody coming, right? The yeah. king is coming from from the... From the provincial capital and you're just uh you know a small landlord you don't want yeah. them to like walk through you know hours of suburban uh like you know makeshift homes and so you need to like you oh. know make sure that uh that the whole city or whatever looks uh appealing and that's uh yeah, yeah. i mean involves a lot of like gentrification as you say and like even i mean it's even before there could be gentrification right it's like you live over here
1: smart cities smart cities (laughs) probably a lot of like i think there's a lot of confucianism in uh modern kind of whatever you want to call it transhumanism yeah techno yeah yeah. whatever is coming techno feudalism techno trans egalitarianism Mm -hmm. whatever it might be Mm
2: -hmm. i like techno feudalism as a term i think it's like kind Mm -hmm. of appropriate yeah, uh, yeah, especially because it's got a lot to do with like exactly what they mm. you know with the old feudal lords were doing. I mean, what Bill Gates and Bezos is doing now is basically yeah. like an exact copy of like the enclosure acts like of the primitive accumulation in England where you know right. they managed to buy up a lot of land because you know you 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 forced out the tenants, they become uh, workers in the industry. Uh you try out like should we have husbandry here instead or is there a specific crop that we can grow and you know different kinds of monocrop methods and they're doing the same thing, you know, like isn't Bill Mm -hmm. Gates like the biggest owner of uh, the single biggest owner of farmland in in America now? That is right. That is right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So even, you you know, know, even (laughs) in the reality, but then even, but then in the digital sphere as well, it's all the entire economy is increasingly just about extracting rents and it's not rent. It's not land rents. It's rents on a automated, means of production with mm-hmm. you know guided by ai or whatever so mm-hmm. in that sense yeah for sure i think it yeah. i think feudalism is a good term uh and a lot of those models of hierarchy right i can totally see yeah. and it isn't it interesting how it acquires a kind of if you dress it up too in in mystical eastern garb it can acquire a kind of hippie uh cachet yeah you can kind of be they like, know oh. that <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: Walking through I mean, all you, these poor neighborhoods. Isn't, isn't really the perfect? Up my feng shui, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And wouldn't it be the best worker, like in the fordist uh, kind of uh, system, would be like a wu-wei worker, like somebody who's really like into no. wu-wei and who's like, you know, don't think, just act, you know, like Bruce it Lee, like be, be like water, yeah. man. <laughs> and just stand yeah. there moving things along, you know, like you don't think, you just do. <laughs> okay.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that would really connect to the Bhagavad Gita stuff, right? Mm. Um. Carry, carrying out your varna dharma, right? Your mm-hmm. caste, uh, your caste destiny,
2: right? right? It's kind of Kantian early bourgeoisie ethics, right? Like uh, you, you can, therefore you shall. Like <laughs> you know, you have to oh, because so. you know it's maybe it's you it's your class, that. right? Like, yeah, I, I, okay. I,
1: yeah. Okay.
2: Okay. <laughs> because that's yeah. basically what Krishna tells the the general, right? Like when he's like in yeah. despair in the beginning mm-hmm. of the Bhagavad Gita, and he's like. You know, oh, there's gonna be war, and uh you know, a lot of people are gonna die and things. And he's just like, yeah, like you said, you know, it's your karmic destiny. So you know, don't think yeah. too much about it. Like the world only works if a if a military man does military things, and a blacksmith does blacksmith things. And uh right. I don't know, like can't somehow, you know, like why the bourgeoisie loved his ethics is is the same thing, right? Like it's it's this calling oh, to a really, new. Yeah absolute of like maybe who's which is not actually moralistic, but, you know, it's somehow mm-hmm. it goes down to virtue, right? Like they make a kind of shift over there, like a less mm-hmm. conscious actor. But they still, you know, the market still have some kind of cognizance. And uh, so it's like virtue now, you know, you can. Therefore, you shall constantly constant right? Solst, right? Is it what mm-hmm. it says in German, I think.
1: Okay, okay. Yeah,
2: yeah. Stimmt. Do you do you, uh, do you speak you speak German, right? Like your name ambition. is so German. Yeah, yeah. I have a you little know. bit of of German. But yeah,
1: yeah. Ah, I studied but American, like oder? Ich bin American.
2: The constables. Uh, yeah, the constables. American. Middle West.
1: What do you call it?
2: Ah, the Middle yeah. West. Yeah, that's Nebraska, oder? what? that? Uh, mm. Nebraska, yeah. oder?
1: Kind or, of around Chicago, right? So. Right. Yeah. Chicago would be the biggest city in the Midwest. I think when you say Midwest, you know, maybe think of mm. that or or the twin cities, right? Minneapolis and St. Paul.
2: Yeah, St. Yeah, Paul yeah, I wouldn't be able so... to put on a map, but yeah. yeah. Minneapolis familiar.
1: And yourself, tell me yeah. tell me more about yourself.
2: <laughs> we yeah, have... so I was going to try to get yeah, well, yeah. Why can I speak German? Like I don't know, like uh, in Sweden, like so I'm from Sweden, right? So you're from and, Sweden. Um, okay yeah that's it Uh, and in Sweden like German and Swedish is a lot more closer to each other than than German uh, and English or Swedish and English right like it would be um, I don't know like how long they've been separated but if you read it you don't need to spend that much studying it like the the listening is terribly Mm -hmm. difficult like Danish is even like you know my grandmother is Danish and Danish is a lot Mm -hmm. more like German already and so when they speak you don't really understand anything. But if you read Danish, you can understand mm-hmm. everything. And then, you know, when it's proper German, like Hochdeutsch, then it's like, yeah, when they speak, you don't understand if yeah. you haven't trained or studied it. But you could get get some mm-hmm. things from, from reading it. I tend uh, to
1: find, yeah, but, reading, I can figure out, oh, this is, you know, I can yeah. convert it. Right. Kundoku, so, kundoku, kundoku like you yeah. Yeah. What well, what is Kundoku?
2: Kundoku is like, is
1: uh in Japanese when you look at a Chinese text and you jump around it and oh, actually read it in yeah, Japanese yeah. grammar, right? Yeah. And you read I it see. as Japanese. And that's what reading originally really meant in Japan when writing was first
2: imported for a long yeah, time. Yeah, they had a, they didn't have writing for a very long time. Like that's so strange. I, yeah I read that like, what's his name? Amine, Amino Yoshiko. Uh, Amino Yoshihiko. Uh, I, I saw, like, yeah. You, yeah, Yoshihiko. Uh mm-hmm and he he does such a good job of like uh you know giving you another picture than you know mm-hmm. ever since the day of the first emperor we have been supreme <laughs> and mm-hmm. his uh, his reading is very very different and uh uh, yeah. uh, especially that part about like, you know, that for such a long time, it was, it was an illiterate system, like that they didn't have mm-hmm. writing, but they had their own language. And
1: Yeah, they knew about crazy. writing at least since the first century and they used inscribed objects as prestige objects and burial goods and stuff. But they mm-hmm. don't actually, there's no evidence for widespread writing until the 7th yeah. century and the Sui Tong yeah. expansion into the Korean Peninsula, potential of invasion. And yeah, it stimulates yeah. state formation. That's further. the Heian period, yeah. is it? Ah, uh, the Nara period. Asuka Nara period is when, yeah. So a bit beforehand, okay. but but yeah. So converting yeah, things, so sure can kind of, <laughs> I can kind of look and read with German goggles. You know, just Danish yeah. or Swedish or whatever, a little bit. Mm.
2: Yeah, it it, it gets. Um, and so I did um, like when I I went to uh, uh, to China when I was like sixteen the first time, and I was like, uh-huh. I was really bored. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, and I went to like this st- student counselor in uh, mm-hmm. high school, and I asked like, uh, wh- where is the furthest <laughs> that you can go away from here? <laughs> and she was like, oh, probably uh, uh, Australia. Like Australia mm-hmm. would be good, uh, but if you want to go like further away, like culturally, and like if you want to be like somewhere where you will not, you know, you know, you will not feel at home at all. Then you you can go to China. Like we have a program that you can go to China. Nobody has done it so far, but you know if you want to, you can do that. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And then I went to and I lived with uh, a host family. the The father was like oh. um, a member. He was like a party member, and so he had uh, he was supposed to I don't know like some kind of cultural uh, position, I guess and um so he they had uh, two people because their son was staying at a boarding school uh, in in the north of shanghai like uh, baoshan and then further baoshan is like the industrial zone and then after the industrial zone there is a kind of uh, yeah some uh, boarding schools and, and and a more like picturesque countryside area where where people often go like for weekend holidays and stuff and um uh so they had like two rooms three in their house and so they uh, they always had like two people there, and when I came and I stayed there, I quickly got, became friend with uh, uh, with a German guy from from Bayern, and then we stayed mm. together for a long time, and then I I went to to uh, uh, we we did some trips together in China, like traveling around, and. Uh, Eventually, I went oh, to gosh. live with him in Germany for a while, and then I learned German over there, like in nine months or something. Uh, okay, like not yeah. good enough to like maybe watch like full on technical news, but like yeah, I yeah, can talk uh, to people and uh, you know get around. Fantastic. And so yeah, yeah. And you might fun. and you were
1: in Spain sometime after that too. So you've been yeah, all over the place,
2: yeah, right. I yeah, like I mean, then I I stayed in. He went back like because it was just like yeah. one year, uh, uh, you know travels but i came back and uh, later like 5 years later he would also come to china uh, this german guy before we went to germany and uh, i stayed in, in china for a long time like uh, and i would travel around and then i uh, i ended up uh, becoming um, like a monk right like i was initiated right. in the uh, yeah in the in japan they would say the yodo shinshu uh, tradition yeah. but it's not like yeah or the yodo shu tradi- yeah. like the pure tradition would say jodo because,
1: jodo kei yeah right because something. it's earlier
2: yeah. yeah. Uh pure land, Like school. Sukhavati Buddhism, kind of, yeah. And okay. um but in China it's really mixed, you know, like so we would have mm-hmm. like Chan uh, students in the same temple, like Chinese uh, Chan practitioners. And uh Yeah, like Zen meditation. My Shifu was like uh, really old and uh, mm-hmm. his Shifu was even older, and so he didn't yeah. want to take on like uh, new students. And so he was uh he suggested you know that I should do like a, a pilgrimage instead he was like you're not going to learn a lot like in the temple anyway like I mean you've been here now but uh you know the way is the way right like you have to get you have to get really dirty now man like you have to uh, like the Buddha never taught to live without any money, he said in the beginning, right? Like, because I was kind of like, you know, maybe a hippie notion that, oh, you go to the temple and you don't have to live with money anymore. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then, you know, I was like, yeah, the Buddha never taught anything about that. You know, you want to see like what it is like to be begging for for, for your food, you know, like that's going to that's gonna change your mind a little bit. And so, uh, and you're going to have to work on a lot of rice fields, my friend. And I, <laughs> I was like, okay, let's do it. Let's head south. And then he helped me. And and I became, like, good at uh, painting murals. And so when I met, like, uh, yeah, when I met, like, Shifus in the temple, they would, like, recommend me to the next place so that I could paint there. And it was, like, a really nice, you know, like, a party card uh, (laughs) stamp. There you go. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Like, now you you can go to the next place. Yeah, Yeah. 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 And so I would be invited. And I ended up, like, traveling everywhere, almost, like, Uh, like around China, I went to Korea, I went to Japan, I went like by boat, you know, with like those, uh, like the low class boats where you're all in like one big room in the bottom of the boat and I would go from Shanghai to Osaka and Nagasaki and I, and I hitched tight around in Japan, like, uh, went to Kamakura, Tokyo, obviously. And, uh, and I went along that coast, like Shizuoka and, uh, uh, and I took the boat often from Shimonoseki to Busan like four times or something. And uh, I remember one time, like I was in Hiroshima, and uh Hiroshima is quite far. Like if you know Japanese geographic uh ge- geography, you know like that Hiroshima is not that close to Shimonoseki. But I was mm-hmm. like uh I had t- two days left of my visa and then I got like thrown I got thrown out from like one farm. It wasn't a temple, but it was like a Yagi farm, and the guy wasn't really doing like I don't know. I don't think he was doing like sound agriculture, you know, farming work. <laughs> like, <Uh-oh. laughs> that was my opinion. Like, uh he didn't really yeah. seem to, uh, you know, know what he was doing. He was a kind of like clerk, ex-clerk uh-huh. in the JA, you know, like the Japanese agriculture uh, bureaucracy. Oh, that's and interesting. He just, like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he started uh, to do something on the side just to, you know to be like, oh, I can't just be a farmer bureaucrat, you know, like I have to do some farming as well. And so we got into a lot of fights about like, uh, you know, what is actually like organic farming and stuff and like what is, uh, she's no And so he threw me mm-hmm. out. And- and And there was two days left on my uh, uh visa, and I was like oh fuck it i'll I'll walk from Hiroshima to Shimonoseki. <laughs> like I'll just yeah. like yeah head west and then uh I came like i think two or three days uh, too late, and the guy was like uh yeah you you always stayed your your visa period for like two two days." and the Uh-oh. And the guys in the port are usually a lot cooler, like then yeah. a lot nicer than the people at the airport, you know because they don't usually deal with tourists, it's people who are like mm. you know Korean workers and people who can't afford to travel by any other means and right. so and yeah, and so he was like, you know, I was like, yeah, but I walked from Hiroshima, man. Like, I walked every day, like, from Hiroshima to Shimonoseki. He was like, that's crazy. Nobody should do that. Okay, here you go. <laughs> and he just stamped my passport and just I went through. Just I it. I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah. They'll just,
1: yeah. they'll say, they'll yeah. give you like a visa. They'll say, I will give you a visa for this day, this day, this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. You get like a five day extension or
2: something. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and uh, yeah, he was really cool. And then, uh, uh, and then I yeah, and and then I went to Korea and then I stayed in Korea. A lot of temples there, learning how to oh, do like kimchi. Like? Oh, nice. it's great, man! Ki- like Korea, yeah, like Korean food. Because maybe you know, because I'm also from like really northern part of the world, and so I was yeah. so like impressed with how good uh-huh. their food their seasonal food was in the winter like in oh, Sweden yeah. you'll get like if you want to eat seasonal food in Sweden which is an arctic country you'll be eating like you know salted fish like and maybe fish, sauerkraut
1: right? yeah, yeah yeah yeah
2: that 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 would be it like if you, you want to do it hardcore that you would be eating traditional yeah, fermented fish and and sauerkraut and there wouldn't be much else for you however in right? korea man they have everything like it was so yeah. good like there was so much good stuff like the soup is amazing everything keeping you warm and then there's like pickle mm-hmm. everything like there's like eight times so kimchi stuff. that i learned to make yeah yeah and it's so and, the, and it's like, all
1: that all is is based on like taoist principles too i think right right that, that you yeah, yeah. only see echoes of it only just barely survives in japan like the New Year's Nanakusagayu, the the uh, rice porridge of the seven different uh, vegetables that you eat in at New Year's, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But that that kind of Taoist geomancy that the Japanese, the yeah. Japanese state actually is originally kind of founded on that. That's the first. Oh, I didn't know that. State ideology oh, of I Japan. Would... Yeah, a lot okay. of the tombs I they've opened up confusing. the tombs and they've found all um, Taoist like maps of the stars and. The oh, wow. directions and the cardinal uh, animals yeah. and, and things in there, yeah, right. But that, That's but so that cool. doesn't really survive after all the layers of uh, Buddhism and other yeah. things that have come.
3: Yeah, Conf- that was kind of
2: bad at hegemony. Like they often seem to be incorporated into like either Confucianism or Buddhism. Although I guess, mm-hmm. I mean, at that time, wasn't there like this period in China that was called like the the Hundred Schools of Thought period? And yeah. uh, still, I mean, if Taoism survived that, then it means they have some skills in hegemony. Obviously, incorporating other yeah, ideologies. it's usually this uh, uh, kind of, of, of chaos view.
1: energy that comes in once in a while. You know, I mean, you uh, mentioned how it could <laughs> be used, a kind of nihilism. It could it hmm. could be used similarly to, to the kind of Varna Dharma of the Bhagavad Gita, like you said. That's true, yeah. but you know, of course, usually it's more about like, well, it quickly gets into a, a an elite religious kind of. Secret society rituals basically for prolonging yeah. life, achieving <laughs> Right, like the
2: alchemy, yeah, yeah, immortality are really big on, right? Isn't the yeah. first, uh, in China, biggest... anyway? That's yeah, yeah, that, that big, you know, the the, the um, Shi Huang Di's tomb, like that, the the, the temple, yeah. yeah, the pyramid where Xi Huangdi Di is supposed to be buried, yeah. which they haven't excavated yet because yeah. you know they don't want to touch it. Um, mm-hmm. they're supposed to be like uh, rivers of mercury flowing in there. Right, like floating right. yeah mercury rivers i think that's so cool and Didn't like he died from found, mercury poisoning I think some people
1: right? no yeah people who tried to dig it up like died from mercury poisoning i think we know that that's at cool. some time <laughs> at some time so yeah. i was in grad school i took wow yeah i was dating a um chinese art historian so uh, mm. i took yeah i took some seminars on chinese archaeology early china and nice yeah, we don't that stuff. I forget. Yeah, people have really died from mercury poisoning because of that.
2: Wow, that's real. yeah. I mean that. Yeah, I want to. I, I kind of like it. I know, like a lot of like the fringe. Mm. Uh, you know, archaeology, like the alternative history people, they're like, oh, the Chinese state is hiding information. And then it's like, no, man, like it's it's because you're going to break everything if you open it up too soon. You know, like there's so much been lost, like in archaeology that is, you know, being done in the eighteen hundred. Like it's too early. Like they didn't have and and, you know, all these high tech tools. And they just go in like any grave robber would go in and steal things for, you know, for the uh, for the museums and they break so much and they clean things like i read this one book now recently what was it called like it's kind of like semi fringe uh, archaeology it was called like uh, uh the 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 immortality key i think uh oh. it was about like the um the I psychedelic like origins of yeah it, was, mm-hmm. it came out one or two years ago and it's it's about like the psychedelic origins of the uh uh not the Euchar- uh, well it includes the Eucharist, but it's also it's mainly about the uh uh, uh the mystic uh right. Uh, uh that's why I heard it. Rev Left did an yeah.
1: episode with the author. That's what it is. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. idea I that the Eucharist was maybe originally psychedelic uh mushrooms mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. Yeah. So from the perspective uh, of secret society rituals uh and and the origins of maybe class society, in that and then if you if you accept, uh, it looks to me, you know, broad strokes religious history might grow from uh, maybe we have innate human beings sort of originally have some mm-hmm. ways of connecting spiritually to the landscape. We do these collectively. We're extremely collective uh, and cooperative in order to survive the harsh conditions on the African savanna after leaving the forests. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Challenging environment. Hospitality becomes crucial. All of this, but then you start getting um, supposedly originally in Europe, right? I, I, although I wonder if that's going to be overturned by more even handed analysis. But uh, areas where you get uh, big runs of uh, whether moose or salmon or whatever, uh, supposedly in mm-hmm. Europe, the Pyrenees are a big source of it, right? Where they're building all the elite uh, bunkers for the uh, surviving the apocalypse. Oh, like in between
2: France and, uh, and, and Spain hey. up there, like the Sierra Nevada. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's That's where. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He talks about that one that there was like a Dionysian. uh, No, uh, not Dionysius. uh, The other one, uh, the agricultural god, uh, Demeter. Oh yeah, Demeter. Yeah, right. Mm. And uh, and and the daughter who is taken back, right? And uh, from from uh, Hades, and then she is allowed to stay six months in in Hades and six months in this world, and that's why we have the uh, 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 the seasons. I right heard, I yeah i like that, that story no,
0: uh
2: and uh, sh- and they started like you know they, they because the was wor- worshipped at this uh you know the uh, elysian uh, mm. uh mystic right like with plato and socrates and all these uh, big uh, shots where they went and right, uh, right? yeah and, and yeah these would be sort she, of
1: secret society areas
2: right yeah for sure. i mean and, you were killed yeah. if you talked about it Mm-hmm. if you talked about mm-hmm. it outside the secret society they would kill you apparently like yeah. and, and there were like accounts of people being killed and so these yeah. were kind of rogue elements the ones that went to spain and stuff and started these uh, and i'll just like connect what i why i came in to talk about this uh like mm-hmm. when the you know like the, the the savagery of like early archaeology which also still takes place today like that yeah. you know often yeah, when they found there. like vessels and stuff and like containers, they, they wouldn't think to, uh, uh, to to examine what was in these vessels, you know, like archaeobotany wasn't like, you know, a popular thing back mm-hmm. then. And so mm-hmm. they've been cleaned, like everything that you see in museums, they've been so clean that you can't tell. Oh, they might like, only care what about was... the pots. Yeah. yeah. But... But wouldn't it be interesting to know right. what was in them? Like, how could that and not on, strike And then on the other you know, side,
1: uh, with Japanese art history, it's often a big issue where, like, a tea vessel, every time that a, a precious tea vessel would change hands, the new owner mm-hmm. would actually build a new box or some other kind of fancy container around okay. the old box. So these they would have accretions wow. of many many boxes like Russian dolls. Oh, that's cool. Eventually, yeah, so, yeah, with with inscriptions on each box from the owner that had owned it at that time. Uh, and oh. when Ernest Fenejosa brought all of this Japanese art back to Boston yeah. after he left Japan yeah. under a bit of a cloud, at the end of his career, mm-hmm. he. He donated all this to the Boston MFA, Museum of Fine Arts, and uh, they threw away all the boxes. So they have only... Nah, the- what? <laughs> Why? Why would have you only do the that? Parts. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So in that case, uh, the that's vessel ridiculous. was actually important and they, they did away with it.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, that's, but, a con- that's a perfect example. Like yeah. the in- ignorance of like what is actually important and like what was important to these people yeah. who made these things that are, are, are preserved. Like... I know like also like uh, you were talking about like Chinese, uh, you know, dating a Chinese art historian and like the archaeological tradition, you know, in in China is really interesting. Like how, you know, everybody talk about the Cultural Revolution as being this kind of, you know, uh, dark era of of science and stuff. But actually, like archaeology during that time was big, like Mm -hmm. they tried to make archaeology a kind of popular science, because if you really Mm -hmm. look at like archaeology, It's like one of the most conservative fields in academia. I mean, just think about it like, you know, if you talk about like physics, everybody knows Einstein, you talk about uh, history, everybody knows Marx. You talk about, uh, let's say, you know, medicine. Everybody knows, you know, uh, Pasteur, right. And uh, you talk about like, you know, you can find a person almost representing like a big father of that field. But you ask somebody about archaeology. I can't tell you a single archae- the name of a single like famous archaeologist. I can do some now today, like modern ones. I wouldn't yeah. be able to do like the, uh, the the founding fathers. And it's also like the the reason why they tried to popularize that uh, you know that field. Obviously, in China during the Cultural Revolution, is because well they sit on the keys, you know, both figuratively and literally to to history, like how yeah. we read. You know, you know, what you do on your show and like, you know, to the degree what I do on my show as well, like, you know, like right. how these objects don't speak for themselves, right? They need to be put into a, a narrative. Doesn't matter if you just found like a box with a teacup. If you don't have the narrative of why the boxes are there, you're going to throw away the boxes. And this, right. you know, same thing. Like, <laughs> like if you don't have, a class conscious narrative you're not going to be looking for things like you know what happened during the medieval times of all these uh, big empires during the bronze age for example and and you're mm-hmm. not going to be you know looking towards you know what might they tell us about uh, uh, the true progress of history or like you know the forward movement of history at least uh, right and so 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 they you know like even the Uh, 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 the Terracotta Armies, they were discovered during the Cultural Revolution, you know, and that's pretty much considered Mm -hmm. one of the biggest archaeological finds of the, you know, the second half of the 1900s. And so, you know, they weren't, you know, just destroying things like Econ class and stuff, you know, they were doing really good archaeological work. And uh, That's the first I've heard that. that I mean, I've heard
1: of their medical, I've heard of actually medical research during the Cultural Revolution. Yeah, that's also really cool. Oh, a lot no, of because like this is a, really a little narrative me. that I heard. And I I was thinking, oh, I want to look into that. I wonder just what the details mm. are. Um, But there were things like cancer research. Supposedly, there's some mm. herb or something that I wonder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it certainly is the case that uh, China cowboys and other CIA operatives set up like dummy research centers in China to systematically gather Chinese medical knowledge.
2: But, it, uh, but insulin. It's, it's, Insulin was oh, big, okay. like because insulin, okay, yeah. you know, because di- di- you know, diabetes is is a is a folk uh, folk sickness, right? Like it's a people mm-hmm. chronic people disease, and uh, and uh, uh, the lady who um, got the Nobel Prize five years ago for the uh, uh, extraction of uh, some molecular string from the yumogi uh, plant. You know, like um, the yomogi, one that grows yeah, everywhere. Yeah, in Japan. something Arte- 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 artemis, vulgaris, or something. Oh, called. it actually um, is.
1: Um, this it's the same thing. It's uh, mugwort. Or um, yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah, mugwort. Yeah. mugwort. It? I found that out yeah. at some point. I I knew what yomogi was, and you know, make you yeah. if you make New Year's mochi, it's often it's the green <laughs> mochi is yomogi. That's right. But yeah. that's the same mugwort. Create they used that, to the, like. Uh, uh, it's not Egyptian exactly the same because be aware. Were, don't were try thinking, to yeah.
2: smoke. Uh, don't try to smoke the mugwort one. Like if you have asthma or if you have like, hey, this. I I used to do it. Like I think this, oh, the European okay. mugwort has uh, yellow flowers, and the Japanese okay. one have purple flowers. And uh-huh. and <laughs> oh, no, I, you smoke I, it I, in Europe? Like, I didn't realize. Uh, they do in, in in Korea and Japan, some like farmers do, Uh like oh, they make tea and they sm- smoke it as a substitute for tobacco. And so I would do that mm-hmm. in Japan. And then when I went back to Europe, I was like, oh, I'm going to, you know, pick some mugwort and I'm going to try to do the same thing. Ah. But I got really like hay fever and like, really strong for like a month and I didn't make oh, the connection. No. And then that my friend, work. my roommate, he was like... What is it that you're just smoking all the fucking time? You know, maybe that's the reason why you got hay fever. And then he looked it up and there was like some witch homepage, (laughs) like like witch.com or something. And it was like first page mugwort. And it was like, might cause hay fever. Like, be aware. Like, (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay, okay. That's why that happened. Uh, yeah, no, but like during the Cultural Revolution, right, like that, that yeah. lady, the Nobel Peace Prize winner like five years ago, who made this discovery about uh, the first non-patented anti-malaria uh, um, uh, prophylaxis, um, she said, I think in her Nobel Prize uh, speech, or if it was written later, I don't know how bold she was, uh, that you know, this wasn't my achievement. This was a group of scientists, uh, part of a project which I was also even part of that initial project. That was founded by, uh, like, a report by, or a document handed out by Mao Zedong, that we need to uh, address the uh, the problems of Chinese traditional medicine, and we need to realize that we're sitting on a gold treasure, you know, like of uh, of medicine that hasn't been you know, scrutinized by by modern science so that, you know, we can get rid of like all the old like superstition around it and we can find what is actually functional and what works. And, you know, like, because that's what the West is doing. You know, they're taking all right. their new medicine, isolating things from like the rainforest and stuff. We have it all on paper dating back like 5000 years. We need to like go to the archives and, and look what, you know, and categorize and, and find out a way to like merge these two traditions. And so she was part of that project, and now, yeah, she got the Nobel Peace Prize for, uh, not not a uh, no, Nobel Prize uh, in medicine for, uh, yeah, like the non-patented. I don't know. Maybe now we got a patent. Yeah. You know, like I'm not a de- dentist. Maybe like you now. know, maybe they do they do patents these days. But that oh, was, the initial, yeah, yeah, that was is, the initial approach. Yeah, this is well. This approach.
1: is the the context in which I heard it is that they had mm. been able to discover things that people doing research under market pressures
2: would never be able to discover and yeah, and it, yeah, yeah. how are you going to go through reversed? five thousand years of archives yeah, yeah. you wouldn't why you're not going to go to the vatican archives and go looking through you know old jesuit writings about you know where can we find medicines like they right. they, they just that's not All what the you drug find trade in the do. early
1: modern period <laughs> is just amazing you know they're mm-hmm. they're taking uh things like ambergris you know they sort of like boogers of a whale right <laughs> what um, i didn't know that ambergris what, well is, yeah, what do you say, yeah. you say that? Yeah, you're probably
2: um, right like it's the plaque plaque or something of a, yeah of it's whale, like a plaque that they yeah. sort of
1: bo- like blow yeah.
2: blow you know, yeah. kind of vomit
1: out and it comes on the shore <laughs> and um yeah. no europeans uh, at that time supposedly uh, if they were, would eat just a little bit of ambergris, they would become as hmm. intoxicated as if they had drunk a great quantity of wine. Wow. That's so cool. I don't, yeah. I don't know if that would, ha- it would, that would <laughs> there are many, many things that we would not consider to be drugs today that yeah. were considered to be drugs and were considered to have all kinds of reactions and effects that we can't really measure today. Um uh,
0: Yeah. Just got home from Illinois. Locked the front door, oh boy. Got to sit down, take a rest on the porch. Imagination sets in and pretty soon I'm singing. do 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 looking out my back door.
2: Yeah, talking about the, like the vessels that are like, you know, cleaned out uh yeah the yeah the, the search for the uh progressive uh or the gradual transition from paganism to christianity right and if there had been some mm. kind of uh, psychedelic involvement i think the ah, old right, book right, right. like the old famous one was the uh muscaria amnita muscaria right like the the fly mushroom right the, the red and white one that was the old like really big old theory now, this guy that came on, I guess, on uh, revolution, revolutionary left radio, uh, the one who released his book two years ago, one of the big things that he wanted to put forward in his book was uh, uh, that with De- De- Demeter and and the uh, 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 the old ancient agricultural gods in their cults, yeah. there seems to be an emphasis on wheat, and uh, wheat is you know where that uh, um, ergot bacteria grows, right? Like it's a, uh, it's a yeah. bit, bit of a problem, like, like even in beer production today, like every like it's got so mm-hmm. many names in mm-hmm. German, for example, because, you know, every, every local area would know about this bacteria and some call it, you know, um, uh, St. Uh, Thomas's fire. I don't know if I do the saints name right, but like there's a, mm-hmm. a, it's a, it appears a lot like in, in, uh, in kind of mystic uh, tradition during the Christian era. And mm-hmm. he's suggesting that, you know, that it is this is a legacy from from the Greeks and that this is what they consumed, like in Elysium. Uh, ah, sure. E- Elysium, I don't know if I'm... The myst, the mystic places has a yeah. different name. Elysium is the the afterlife, right? And Oh, and yeah, yeah. Itself, Maybe we're
1: thinking of... Um, the
2: initiation was... Oh, geez. The, the oracle Elysis? at Delphi.
1: There was an oracle at Delphi. Yeah.
2: Eleusis.
1: Eleusis. The Eleusinian mysteries, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense. And, uh, and, and so the ergot is a bacteria that, um, or a fungus, maybe uh, it's some kind of pathogen that, uh, I've never yeah. had a problem with it when growing wheat. Yeah. So I don't really know exactly what it is, but, but it, anyway, it is, uh, the microbe that from which and you can extract LSD. Correctly. Yeah. 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 I, I guess I do. Uh, but if I wanted to grow it for LSD, I, I yeah. would, I would, in, you know, intentionally, uh, right. Uh, inoculated with this uh, microbe mm-hmm. because yeah that's well, and... how Hoffman got it apparently oh, okay so, so sacred
1: yeah. sacred ecstatic experiences uh, are often a, a key part of secret society rituals which are these mm. rituals that get together these proto ruling classes in places right. like the Pyrenees in places like you know you mentioned um, well the Near East anyway it's PPN PPN A PPN B uh, pre-pottery Neolithic is the, Oh yeah, yeah. is the layer, right? Where you begin to see more complex secret society rituals. And uh, gradually oh, then, you know if we're talking about sort of spiritual history, it's they who begin to put forward a chief. And the chief we know this from uh, anthropological. Data, right, looking at Mm -hmm. uh, different um, ethnographics, ethnographically observed societies uh, through certainly flawed uh, observers and all that. But we see Mm. that they tend to put forward a king or a chief who comes from the lower strata of the secret society members because it's someone that they can control and they put him up as a, a symbol. And then uh, legends of the of a one God who is good and who's going to save everyone and who gave us the beautiful Mm -hmm. grain and all of this grow around this chief. But before that, much more what you have is we secret society members are the ones who are in communication with the spirits. And that represents a kind of enclosure or privatization of a much more widespread shamanistic practice that used to be fairly universal among human beings. Under and and was universal among human beings in egalitarian societies up to the
2: modern period. Mm -hmm. So that's really really, like interesting because I think this is what they uh, often miss out. Like, I this guy who wrote this book wasn't that fringe of a historian. I think he wasn't even a historian. I think he's like a lawyer or something. Uh, But a lot of like the the journalists, uh, like, I, I like him. He wrote the introduction right to that book, Graham Hancock, for example. He, I think he's okay, but he also falls uh, victim to this kind of uh, class unconscious uh, uh, approach to these old secret societies, because they seem yeah. to think that they are liberators or something, you know, they seem to mm. think that, oh, the ruling class today are hiding, you know, the, the the advanced technology of these old secret societies, when it's like, no, man they are the same people you know they weren't doing anything else back then you know they were doing the exact same thing that they're doing now controlling the populace to extract grain and you know to reproduce their own class position why would they have been doing anything else back then and even if they were back then doing something else against who then you know, like who are they? You know, these uh, rebels against, and like why would advanced technology be so, you know, rebellious? You need class consciousness mm-hmm. if you want to make use of technology in a rebellious way. Like, right. like iron, for example, right? Like iron is a very democratic metal because it exists in abundance. It's cheap. Um, it, it it lasts longer, so you can inherit it from your father, farmer, and and so you know, like in Athens, you could be a, a peasant. Mm-hmm. And a soldier, whereas in Sparta, you could only be a soldier or you could only be like a surf uh, farmer. And so, Uh you know, like the, like, and these uh, inventions, they happen on the outskirts, right? Like to, uh, or like this use of technology in a rebellious way happened on the outskirts. Like, I mean, what were they inventing at the same time in in Egypt? Like mirrors and stuff, you know, like new kind of jewelry, things that, you know, the ruling class wants. And you need, I think that, that that's I what they that, miss out on, like in right, right, reading
1: exactly. I wanna, I I do wanna have an eye for that for sure. Um, I, I at the same time, uh, one limitation of like Brian Hayden, you know, Brian Hayden is very much sort of there, right? And um, mm-hmm. you know, the ethnographers, whether it's their prejudice or whatever. Um, I I am willing to hear a lot about sort of maybe there in actual indigenous societies, there probably was a a significant balancing function. And there probably, in most cases, there was a whole ecosystem of secret societies, secret societies, counter secret societies, and they're all sort of competing. And you actually end up with a a fairly equal society still uh, in these cases.
2: yeah I mean, it's really early, like the the early shamanism is... When this is the transition from animism to shamanism? It's about, like, 30,000 years ago? Like, when you have those first... We'd be talking yeah. about
1: 50,000 years ago to 30,000? 30, 30, oh, yeah. Something like yeah. this? Yeah, sorry.
2: No, not 30,000. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it would be, like... Yeah, that's right. And, you know, that yeah. when you have that transition from animism to, to shamanism, you, you wouldn't... I think you can't say that that is class society already. You know, like, that's still... They might be yeah. doing the same thing later when class society does take mm-hmm. place. But, but at that time, yeah, it's much more like you said, you know, that you could have a more, you know, uh, like an ecosystem that is much more dialectical, uh, where, yeah. you know, some people are shameless just because, you know, maybe they're crazy or something, you know, <laughs> like they, they're yeah. just like outsiders and, you know, they, they mm-hmm. aren't in it for, for necessarily maintaining power or like even if they right. were, there wouldn't be, you know, the structures for them to, to be able to fool enough people to, to, uh, right. Make, uh,
1: Well, and and if we think evolutionistically, sort of, from looking back from from where we are, we can see that this laid foundations ultimately for uh, class society. But at the time, you know, it may not it didn't wouldn't have to go in that direction. And it didn't go in that direction for a long, long time uh, for many of these indigenous societies that survive into modernity. Um, speaking of metal, you know, uh, the, the Kwakwakiwak mm-hmm. and other uh, Northwestern Turtle Island Potlatch peoples, they, they would. They, so first of all, the secret societies actually materially do not accumulate surplus. They don't accumulate material surplus, but they accumulate honor and debt and gratitude.
2: Right. And that's actually like another register yeah. of domination. Yeah.
1: They would, indeed, in their, within their clans, I think, um, exploit their fellow clan members and get them to produce uh, these very inten- labor-intensive metal uh, sheets, like a sheet of copper or something. Mm-hmm. And then one of the attractions at the potlatch would be, uh, you know, it's basically just, first of all, it's giving away wealth, but then also there would be displays of destroying wealth, like throwing this right. precious... Yeah, uh, I remember that. Ulicon oil onto a fire or taking these mm-hmm. sheets of copper that are made for this purpose and then add a ri- in a yeah. ritual setting going and actually just poking a big hole in it and ruining it yeah. it's like i'm ruining i have so I'm, we're so wealthy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> our clan yeah
2: can ruin this i life. mean the the, the yuppie people do that today i don't know if it's a thing mm-hmm. in 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 america or in japan like uh like the uh, the brats or like the u p people in in Sweden there was like a trend about five ten years ago uh where where they would order a bottle of champagne and then they asked the uh, the the bartender to to pour the other bottle into the sink like and this is called vaska in Swedish it's called like sinking mm-hmm. it like oh yeah, you know, I'll oh. have a bottle and sink the other one, and then oh, you know <laughs> that's just yeah I mean there you go but I mean it, it I that's just like a like a like a cultural like, I guess, you know, uh, yeah. I, I don't want to say primitive because I don't want to like out uh, prehistorical society as necessarily primitive, but it has this kind of, you know, it, it doesn't say everything about their own relationship to the reproduction of capital, obviously, you know, that they sink things. But, I mean, you do have it also, right, like in industrial society where, where you destroy things to keep up the value of uh, a commodity on on the market, oh, right? Yeah. Like they will burn, you know, like heaps of meat, and like during the coffee, yeah, 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 and like during the coffee wars, you know, they would burn and destroy loads of coffee just to make sure that the third wave specialty coffee kind of uh, had a niche that they wanted to sell, right? Like All you can't right. sell specialty coffee if that's a common coffee. Like that's that actually work. a value producing
1: activity to destroy that particular
2: <laughs> yeah pile of potatoes they call or whatever it... that you're... yeah. Don't they call it like, yeah, creative destruction or something like in their Milton Friedman esque, you know? Oh, really? sure,
1: yeah. I mean, a lot of that is talking about sort of colonial pillage and and things, right? Um, move yeah. fast and break things is
2: Facebook's uh, right. motto, right? <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> which is just like that's pillaging, man. <laughs> like, right. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's yeah. Else. I think that you know what you say, like that. This these uh, early secret societies wouldn't. Accumulate surplus, uh, like in the material, but there is a kind of surplus yeah. enjoyment of having the best music and the best rituals and the best kind of, you know, intrigue yeah. and and, and things certainly that people, sharing you know, that so- with
1: everyone, but.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to at least let everybody know, you know, like otherwise, Letting who are you know. playing this yeah. theater for? <laughs> like, and in that no sense, audience. you know, it's
1: kind of adorable. It's like if, if that's all yeah. there that was, you know, if we could get uh, hmm. Jeffrey Epstein and Bill Gates to go to his island, <laughs> uh, and yeah. they have to invite everyone in the world to come to the island, and they're like, oh, aren't we great? And then everyone says, yes, you yeah. are great, uh, Jeffrey. Thank you, yeah. Bill. Um, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're the best. And Then, buddy. then we kill them yeah yeah, it's just be even better but wasn't that well, but also
2: yeah yeah sorry go on but
1: it could be <laughs> very peaceful right if, if if they were not uh sacrificing children to moloch or anything and they just were like, yeah. you know giving out lots of gifts and we say oh yeah you're great and then they go home and it's you know it's a parallel universe yeah. where they do none of the things that they mm-hmm. do in our universe
2: right right yeah, that, that would as you say that would be really sweet like and yeah didn't they have like in greece you know like uh lord of misuse you know like you talked about earlier like how the early clan societies would take a person who was from the lower part of the class uh or like the lower classes the lower stratum and then they put him on top and uh, uh as a kind of puppet obviously right uh, that yeah. you can you know you know it's like the bully like yeah you know, do that thing again you know that you do you know that's so funny like <laughs> and uh, uh the, the the greeks they did a similar thing right like they had the lord of misuse which was a kind of uh during, you know, the decline of a certain king or uh, a period that is usually associated with turbulence. I don't know, you know, like during a, a famine or something, they would have a kind of lord of misrule. And so they put mm-hmm. like a a, a ruler on, on the top who was a kind of, you know, it has this whole uh, what the, the Russian literary theorist uh, Mikhail Bakhtin, right? Like it's, he writes a lot about like the carnival. And it right. has this car- carnivalesque feeling of like, you know, one day you're a beggar and the next day you're a king. And I yeah. mean, uh, at the first, you know, uh, like the first angle would be, you know, we would feel like, oh, well, you know, maybe that's a kind of like, you know, uh, a, a knight's story kind of tale, right? You know, like, oh, like, you know, there's a position for everybody or like, you know, there's a possibility for everybody to get up there. But when you oh, start I to know. look at it, you know, I mean, I already you know, like hinted at it, like they impose this Lords of Misrule during times where where let's say there was a famine or something, so that there would be you know in the end of the Lord of Misrule the the Lord of misrule is is killed symbolically as well because. Yeah, you know, you you have like, <laughs> you yeah. have very terrible situations and conditions and you don't want to take like, you know, one of your people to take the blame for this. So you start a carnival and be like, let's have a peasant feed the king and then be like, yeah. look at all the bad things that he's doing. Like, you know, the crops are dying, you know, we got to kill him. And then people will be like, yes, yeah. let's do that. And then spring comes along and, you know, things are good again. Like, it's it's a smart mm-hmm. way to... To, to, you know, neutralize uh, class tension. I'm
1: seeing all kinds of parallels to American democracy and to uh, the (laughs) Internet where everyone is famous for
2: 15 minutes at a time. Yeah, I mean, how big of a coincidence, isn't it? Like, you know, Trump and COVID like happening at the same time. Like it's the first pandemic and it's the first really like carnivalesque. Yeah. And leader. then Joe
1: Brandon, Joe Brandon is our next uh, kind of yeah. sin eater that's up there and he gets to yeah, absorb what's all, the, with him, man. all the dark, the dark red White House energy. I, it's crazy. Like, how how old are they?
2: Like, you, it doesn't look mm. like, I don't know what it is that you, you know, Is like, it
1: even the same guy? Does his earlobe
3: look
1: yeah. on,
2: right? I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's been going around a lot. Yeah. I don't know. yeah. But, I mean, they don't look the, their age, though. I mean, you don't need to be a conspiracy theorist. to, 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 to I mean, if I no. think about people who are 70 years old in my family or, or, or you know, around me, they do not look like Trump and, and Biden. <laughs> like, oh, they're clearly they're old, full of all man. kinds
1: of pharmaceuticals, yeah. right? I mean, if we're talking about um, <laughs> yeah. everyone from Pelosi to Kamala, uh, everybody's on yeah. all kinds of pharmaceuticals all the time. And I think it's just yeah. everyone yeah. knows it.
2: I saw one TV series. I can't remember, like... Uh, what show was that? Was it a Black Mirror thing? There was like a kind of uh, mm. tele who was on some kind of like experimental drug, you know, to get that fervor, like the Holy Spirit oh, was wow. a synthetic uh, experimental okay. drug. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, they must do, I mean, it, it, it'd be childish, childish mm-hmm. to think that, that they don't do the same thing, like with the, with the main spectacle, like the main political one, like not only the religious ones. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely.
2: And, uh, and then I mean again, back to the old clan societies, you know, like the shamans, mm-hmm. who were they? Yeah, they were the people who could take drugs the best. <laughs> like, right. They, they yeah. were the ones who knew how to do it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And even in ancient Greece, I I, I think this yeah. is definitely the case. So that's yeah. what again, Christianity is such a weird animal in this way, because mm-hmm. right, you have yeah. like I get it's monotheism. Like... Okay. It's like, oh, there's the king figure. Okay, there's one center mm-hmm. of society now. And that's the source of the grain that you have to work to grow. It's very, very common. Mm-hmm. Like
3: but, and then behind
1: thing. the scenes, we know archaeologically that we can see that the, the you know, shri- the cave shrines and things are either in the palace, hidden away or hidden away up in the mountains in a society that also mm-hmm. has a very developed central temple architecture and priesthood architecture around a monarchy and probably you know, a central kind of good God as opposed to the earlier sacred society where it's bad gods. The bad gods are out there and we have the technologies mm-hmm. to go into the sacred states, the static states, and fight the the cannibal spirits, tame the cannibal spirits so they don't come and bite you. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes they're, according to the ethnographic accounts, you know, they would be like, oh, somebody failed to, to show the proper respect to this. Uh, so... The ca- my cannibal spirit is coming on me now i can't help it you weren't a good boy um and yeah. i'm gonna come and, and bite you and they literally would bite a piece of flesh off the arm of someone there and maybe the ethnographer <laughs> would, would yeah maybe the ethnographer though also is privy to the fact that that was somebody that was like decided beforehand and that was he was yeah. in on it and yes. they knew that you know mm. that was a
2: plant in the crowd <laughs> he wants to be <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: right right well jim yeah. jones was doing things like this right in his sermon yeah yeah yeah
2: for sure the fucking you know the frog man like he had a box yeah. like whatever i i talked like with uh, jimmy recently like jimmy falengong mm-hmm. on uh mm-hmm. program to uh chill and uh Oh right! Yeah, I like I was talking about, like the old. Um, okay, so this will be like a spoiler if you like. Uh, yeah, give it, it out to this out. of this episode, before. Yet. I think yeah, I'm it has to come it. out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, we were talking about like the the Alleluia shamans of uh, Guyana, like uh, uh-huh. that. Um, that James Jones uh, uh, supposedly like he he had the connections with them, and he knew about uh, like a, a big um, massacre, uh, like a big suicide, a ritual suicide where 400 people had killed themselves in the in the end of the 1800s. Yeah, in off, Texas um, or
1: something, right? Four.
2: No, oh, yeah, man, in
1: Guyana, in... in the same place. Uh, it was in Guyana, in the same, in the same place. place. Yes, Okay, yes, I remember this by like Jim a... Hogan.
2: <laughs> yeah, the Jim yeah.
1: Hogan piece on, on Jim Jones. mentioned. Uh, right. mentions yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it Enough. was in Guyana. Okay, I didn't realize.
2: Yeah, yeah. I found yeah. the original, I, I went further than Jim Hogan and I found the original uh, German text uh, that this uh, anthropologist uh, found uh, oh, right. having talked to somebody who was there to kill the uh, uh, the old J- Jim Jones let's say like the old tribal leader who said that they needed to do this uh, so that they could become white people and that they could be reborn and like there's a lot of strange connections and and he met one who killed this leader and he told that story to him and uh how did we get it to talk about this? What, 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 what was the connection? Well, secret right? societies, yeah, so, right? And, yeah, uh, the, Christ- and the Christianity frog, yeah. is
1: such a weird animal, right? Because it you have no. the, the monotheism of a kind of state uh, ancient empire with a priesthood and a temple and everything, right? But then mm-hmm. that is connected to this kind of ecstatic secret society ritual, uh, ritual cannibalism, which was a common feature yeah. in a lot of these, right? This yeah, is how we often know archaeologically, yeah. We know archaeologically mm. that there was secret society activity because there will be a tiny little cave where maybe two or three people could only be in there at once. It's not a big uh, group area for rituals, mm. but there's tons of art on the walls and there's um, maybe the same picture will be drawn over and over on the, the same wall as if drawing the picture each person each time going through an initiation is part of a right. ritual.
2: Like metamorphosis. Like yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. It, there will be kind it, of beast like...
1: animals, yeah, changing into a certain animal, which could be an animal ancestor. It could be, yeah, it's. I'm sure it's very complicated, and a lot of these patterns yeah. have got to be oversimplifications. But, yeah. uh, but human skulls with um, signs of being eaten, right? That's some of our earliest evidence for belief in the soul. By the way, I mean that's another kind of right? interesting methodological question, which keeps coming up in this conversation yeah, right now. Yeah.
2: I mean, doesn't uh, Hegel say the same thing, right? Like he says that this, the Geist is the... Uh, well, now I can't remember it in German, but yeah, that the uh, the spirit is the bone, right? The spirit is the skull. Like oh, that's Hegel's, wow, Hegel's okay. Like uh, the dialectic, the phenomenology of spirit is basically like you hear this. I mean, Zizek says, you know, in the beginning, it sounds to us like so primitive, right? Like, why would I ever be a cannibal? But then you start yeah. thinking about it like the skull, like... Monks also, like really mm-hmm. hardcore, you know, like Master Master I and you know, like the Bedouins, yeah. uh, Beguins, you know, like all these, uh, you know, the whole ap- apophatic tradition of Christian mysticism, they kept oh, that you know, word sprouts, apophatic. Like... I was looking for that for so many years, <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Like, it's the best, yeah. the best explanation I heard about that is like, you know, like apophatic means like some kind of negative theology, right? Like, that's uh, yeah, yeah. You take away things, focus, so rather than absolutely. glory, yeah. yeah, like, rather than glorifying God, you continue, like, a practice of saying, like, that's not it. And Speak somebody, away. I yeah. think it was, yeah, Dionysus, uh, the pseudo Dionysus of the guide. he said that, uh, like, an old Assyrian monk, I think, like, from the year 300, the third century or something, uh, he said that it's like making a statue, you know, you start, like, with a block and you chip away things until a picture starts to appear. Like, that is the apophatic mm. approach, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And I think that's that's genius. Like, that's it. <laughs> Speak away. Yeah.
1: Wegsprechen. Yeah. Versprechen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now you got, yeah. Yeah. It's
2: like uh, Eckhart has the same thing. Eckhart, he has, uh, Master Eckhart has the same thing, right? Like, he has the uh, the Grund, right? Mm. Like, uh, when there's nothing left but, you know, the uh, let's say the pedestal where you would have put the figurine. You know, even the Greeks—they had like there's a, this famous uh, uh, seat or throne. I don't know if it's in Athens or somewhere where it says like you know this is the mm-hmm. throne of the the unnamed or something. And there was never like mm-hmm. a statue on it. You know, it's just like yeah. it's just there. And then there's you know this this one <laughs> the the yeah. uh, the owner of this throne is too great to be depicted in a statue or even or like you know given a name or something. And so you know mm-hmm. like it's like, this nice kind of feminological twists you know it sounds primitive mm. at first when hegel says it you know the spirit is the bone or the spirit is the skull mm. but then you start thinking about it like you want to be a materialist where else yeah. are you going to go man like you yeah. you want to be less abstract you're going to get back to the skull like that's, i suppose it, you know, it's it feels yeah.
1: so crude it feels so crude to learn that that archaeologists use that as as the, the the sign the thing that they look for the the telltale sign of uh belief in yeah. spirits in human history, if they find uh, skulls that are bashed open in the back to actually eat uh, the brain, right. because that means that people have a sense that the brain is the seed of some kind of selfhood, and they are yeah. doing some kind of ritual eating of, uh, you know, spiritual yeah. energy or selfhood of others. And that's isn't uh, that
2: also the contemporary like official theory about uh, not Hay- Hayuk, but uh, Göbekli Tepe? you know that yeah, yeah. Uh, gobekli tepe was some kind of mm-hmm. uh skull um worshipping a mm-hmm. secret society or cult or you know what i don't know what words are really appropriate that's yeah. also difficult to know you know like how many were there and like what did mm-hmm. this you know when you talk about like you know you, you said you know this social ecology or you know that that does have not a class society but definitely some kind of division of labor where there are some people who are shamans and some people who are something else right like one might not control the other all the time, but you have a kind of ecosystem that, you know, sometimes yeah. they are in charge. Sometimes we are in charge. I mean, definitely but right after actually harvest. it's not based on right? birth
1: necessarily, right?
2: Um, that's right? one of the yeah. differences
1: is that you can tell if it's if it's just based on birth and that, you know, you just go through certain rituals if you're born in a certain clan, um, mm-hmm. regardless, that's a little bit different. Um, I think theoretically people can come from various places, but um, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. So, so Christianity, right? You have this, it's cannibalism. <laughs> it's cannibalism. Yeah. The haunted bread. <laughs> it's you know. LSD and
2: cannibalism. That's...
1: The haunted bread is, <laughs> is, if it's the body of Christ, you know, you're, you're ritually yeah. cannibalizing the God of the yeah. temple and the priesthood and the, what, isn't that, you know, yeah. How does that appear on the front stage of history? It's it's escaped from the yeah. Back how moon is that the most
2: sophisticated uh, expression of of sublimity? <laughs> monotheism. Uh, how did it get to that point? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this it's weird it's, hybrid of
1: of high monotheism with like uh, a very polytheistic, and then some of these very very. Um, yeah secret society elements that w- which might be present in all societies that have a class society at all people in the back room are getting together and doing something yeah, gotta be but yeah gotta <laughs> the, be but then i like i like, I like it when you thing.
2: talked about the grain state in your episode and you did like this kind of uh this first like who were these first people right like who, who got together and said the paleo Whoa. parapolitics yeah you people gotta you know grow some grain and people like why why should i do that like it it takes (laughs) a lot less time you know to be a hunter and it takes even less time to be a natural farmer you know just be a cultivator you know like uh i don't know who talked about it like there were some anthropologists talk about like the uh the aborigines in australia right Like, where they talk about like the domestication of landscape which isn't the domestication of plants but rather like a pretty advanced planned economy where all you need is basically something like stonehenge or some kind of calendar like a lithic calendar and then you can domesticate an entire continent and you know where to go at what time and there's never going to be famine i mean for forty thousand years the aborigines lived without famine like how you know unbeatable in terms of sustainability is that Mm. and then somebody came along as you say you know like and we like you people going to grow some grains. We need some turbulence in this. <laughs> we need some. Yeah, we need yeah. something that can go really wrong.
1: I think actually, you know, when I made that, I didn't know about the secret societies yet. And I may have, I think I phrased it in terms of, oh, there's this wonderful good God who's the ancestor of maybe us nobility and us nobles. And uh, they've given us mm. this grain. Right. But actually, probably or initially, it's more like there are dangerous forces, there are evil forces in the world. And we are the um, sorcerers, you know, Uh, we're the sorcerers or shamans who can control those forces. Uh, And then out of that sort of grows that and that innovation does seem to happen within the Middle East. And then that becomes a vanguard of this new kind of society that sweeps across Europe again. So there's a two stage, Mm -hmm. actually, I would update that. I would update mm-hmm. that, you know, it's Europe is having the, um, just tons and tons of moose right. During the ice age, there's, there's places right. where you can yeah, get big moose game. extremely yeah. easily through these narrow river valleys where the moose have to go through this narrow thing. You can get them all the right. time, like in valleys and, and find, stuff.
2: And you just wait.
1: Yeah. We can salt the meat. We can make jerky. You see lots of bone scrapers. You see lots of, uh, fine leather clothing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you can see they were just accumulating tons and tons of meat, uh, probably based on the sorts of uh, secret society rituals that we see in ethnographic societies, like in Northwestern Turtle Island, right?
2: Yeah. So, yeah. but then, then that, that would be another that, stage. But yeah, which is the other state that Then I, I don't. I, I the don't next quite stage follow, of like, like PPN,
1: yeah. um, pre-pottery mm-hmm. Neolithic, would spreads from then, and that might be much more sort of temple. Based. that is the grain state hmm. that's the grain state okay. proper right so i yeah. think the subordination the roots of the subordination kind of begin and then you have yeah the grain state beginning after that yeah maybe then beginning based on the kind of you know central god and strength. stuff but christianity christianity is this weird mix of all these things and this is why you get uh you know, it's amazing to really look at Europe again. It, it, it upends all kinds of Eurocentric things because, you know, you can think about like Thomas Aquinas,
2: right? Mm, uh, yeah.
1: St. Thomas Aquinas, the, the great theologian. it would be the pop,
2: populizer. Like, like, he, like my idea of Thomas Aquinas is like he is the theologian who kind of saves the Catholic Church by incorporating the rediscovered Greek philosophy into Christianity, right? Would Aristotle. From like
1: Averroes and Avicenna. um, Because it's out there. And people
2: are reading it. And they're like, you know, whoa, wait wait a minute. They're like, there's some old Europeans here who is talking about something that, you know, is so foreign to, you know, whatever it is, the Catholic Church. My favorite thing about the Catholic Church there is, for example, like weights, right? Like they thought that something is heavy, falls faster than something that is light. And then you're like, well, that's not true, right? And, and, and. And, and, and you can so easily prove that that is like the most, you know, easily proven empirical experiment that you can do. You go up into oh, a high yeah. tower and you drop something and then you see which one falls. But then you start thinking, you're like, no, but they own all the high towers. <laughs> there is no way mm-hmm. that you could do that experiment unless you build something out of a wooden structure and you go up there and then you, you drop it. And then you start to ask yourself, well, no, but people are going to start thinking, you know, that that guy is some kind of, you know, Wilhelm Reich kind of personality, you know? Like, what's he doing with his, you know, organ generator <laughs> <laughs> accumulators? Why is he building a, a big wooden structure and just dropping tools off it to see which one falls yeah. faster when they, they they fall the same speed, regardless of their weight? Like, it's a, yeah, it's like wind re- mm-hmm. wind resistance thing, right? But, like, how yeah. does, you know... Like, how can the, the, the Catholic Church can manage to, like, you know, maintain such a truth for such a long time? Because, like, that whole tradition of the Greeks of, you know, go out and try yourself, that was, you know, f- yeah forgotten. And then, you know, uh, when it starts to reappear, then Aquinas is there and it's like, yeah, come on. Like, we gotta he's a, a kind make, of
1: beginning know, of that, yeah. Um, I'm yeah. just beginning to really get into learning about uh, Islamic science actually. And it's drawing, there's an old narrative. Yeah. Yeah, We have a lot of, to learn and update actually about that Um, because, uh, you know, the traditional narrative is very much like, Oh, there was Greek science and then there was like no science for a while. And, and maybe the Muslims Mm. kind of acted as like a vessel just saving it for Europeans yeah. to come back and get it again They're so, so like,
2: racist uh, of a notion
1: <laughs> yeah they just keep it it turns out I they mean I, I, I thought that too that's what I learned but like um, oh but before we move I, I was gonna say about Thomas you know this, yeah. this high minded yeah, yeah. guy who writes you know Summa Theologica or whatever uh, he mm-hmm. uh, dies and his best friends who lived with him yeah. up to the point uh, they take his body and they boil it in a pot and they take all wow. his flesh off of his bones. What? And then they have the bones. And then they decide oh, who gets his leg, who gets his fingers for, for relics, right? You know, I mean, we have this. That's crazy, man. Saint, so <laughs> I had
2: no idea. Talking about. What?
1: I mean, that, this is just totally normal European stuff there.
2: Yeah, um, definitely. We It's high, high, high Catholic very, society. <laughs> very
1: classical. Oh, speaking of which, our boy Francis is what? in the shit right now, yeah? uh you oh, see he? francis is I, just, I, he's in the thick of it clearly he he was talking right. maybe i will step down it seems like there's some kind of coup attempt against him he dissolved the knights oh, wow. of malta he's oh yeah yeah, yeah i saw
2: you you posted about that in the discord or somebody did yeah yeah, yeah. i saw this yeah that's mad why is this yeah. happening I don't know. <laughs> I thought I that know. was a historical thing first, like that that had happened a long time ago. And then now I was like, okay, wait, it's right, no, yet, right now. Francis currently yeah. is
1: like uh, doing some really uh, He's fighting some kind of battle here. This is interesting. <clears throat> I think wow. uh, the the Knights of Malta are now going. The Grand Master is going to be appointed every ten years and and voted on. He just appointed a wow. load of new cardinals, which will yeah. increase the the body of people who would appoint his successor, right? Elect his successor.
2: So yeah. um yeah, he's
1: <laughs> even crazy, I mean like, yeah, I don't know now,
2: now, now now telling the story about like their queens Uh you know, his successors. Like basically okay. it sounds like, you know, yeah, some uh, I don't know, some isolated island in the Pacific or something. I don't know. <laughs> they like might, that, be that might be getting ready it's to boil Francis mine. for his bones
1: too. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, that's what I'm thinking, like, what happens to
1: him? <laughs> well, What's Benedict, to the Benedict was, you know, he was he was basically deposed by, and it, it didn't something to do with the Propaganda Due happen right about then, I found out later. Yeah, um, the whole,
2: like, embezzlement, like, from like, Nazi collaboration sort of broke during that time, didn't it? And it was that's just, like, was. revealed how... Yeah, like it revealed how. I I I think the worst stories there seem to be like in Croatia because Croatia is quite Catholic, if I understand it correctly, and they were like big on like let's let's do some Nazi stuff. Like you know we're not gonna like you know uh, just be a you know a silent minority who just agrees. We're gonna be like you know you're on the right track, and let's do it even better than the than the real folk. Uh, and um, yeah, yeah and, and 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 like in connection with the Catholic. Uh, church in croatia that's where like because it seems like an off you know beat place like in germany maybe it would be too like yeah. too much of a focus and you know that there's going to be problems whereas you know in croatia it's too. like yeah whereas in yeah. croatia it's just it's just above right like you can go to croatia from italy right like you just go northeast yeah. and after tuscany and you're in croatia yeah. basically yeah and so uh, the connection there is is I mean, it's stronger. Like I think, blood lineage-wise as well. You know, you have a lot of Italian, like aristocrats, who live there. Oh yeah, uh, well, that's the Dalmatian coast, is it? I I don't know, like, but it's like that Tuscany area, like where the the
1: the, the actual old-time Mediterranean struggles with like Venice and stuff, right? Yeah,
2: I'm reading that one book about about the Venetians. Tuscany, it's Venice, right? Intelligence. Yeah, I don't know. I wanted to say that earlier because we were talking about something. Like, in terms of, like, you know, when the commodity and the ritual of the commodity and, the, and the, oh, you yeah. know, the people who starts to understand, understand the libid- libidinal charge of the commodity, like, you know, how powerful of an object that it is, you know, they are also yeah. the people who start to understand intelligence. And, you know, there are other, you know, registers of domination than brute mm-hmm. power, right? Like, and brute weaponized force, you know, that's like... The ideological state apparatus is not the repressive state apparatus. It has methods of its own. And they might even be more, you know, crucial older. if you want to stay on top. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. I think they might be more successful. I think they
1: actually are older. That was something that Hayden says that polices and armies seem to grow and secret services seem to grow out of the secret societies after the point that mm-hmm. you begin to have a king and a chief so right. isn't that interesting and, and then it is so i would say from a leninist point of view if you want to if you need a people's army you know even older than a than a people's army maybe before people's army we need a people's well as a secret society that would be the party i guess maybe yeah. that's nothing new maybe that's not saying anything new but
2: i, I don't know but like shouldn't be afraid to make use Mm -hmm. of their successful tools just because they are doing it like maybe inherently their tools aren't bad like they you know they're pretty good at it they have a a weapon i
1: definitely want to find it if i can use it there was some kind of point that i wanted to make about like we are we're touching on these interesting methodological issues when we talk about sort of the inside of a vessel or the box that is holding Mm -hmm. a vessel right yeah and what's the important thing that you want to put on them in the museum case and what is the thing that yeah, you throw away? You a, I have... mean
2: for godian and stuff they always like to talk about like this kind of uh uh the medium is the message right and, and things like mm. that and i don't know like how i if i fully a, agree with that like sometimes i think like i mean what would be the opposite yeah, sometimes the opposite it's would one, be like the message
3: the yeah
2: yeah like sometimes the message is the medium like i think rather you know again like it's like the dialectics is more important but at the yeah. same time that method methodolo, methodology uh, methodology yeah. of the dialectics choosing when is the message the medium and when is the medium the message that ah. it's hard to find that archeologically right. speaking you know, like we're yeah. back to the whole thing you know yeah. you know how much of a conservative you find evidence of cannibalism uh, is this belief in the soul is this evidence yeah. of belief in the soul yeah <laughs> yeah like i mean and, and and how you know so archaeology as a kind of yeah like a very conservative tradition uh where people are like you know not anybody can come here and say something definitely like, people about, with like you know, credentials right yeah yeah i mean it's for people sure they are all like knights oh, and absolutely. stuff in the beginning and it's like you know you've got to be like a general in napoleon's army <laughs> if you want oh, to yeah, say something yeah. about egypt and, uh, yeah it's like mm-hmm. i mean and why is that? You know, why is it that the, again, figuratively and materially, literally, whatever the yeah. keys to history, why is it that, you know, very specific people are allowed to say something about these things? And, That's uh, right. like back to this whole thing of like advanced, mm-hmm. uh, you know, technology, like lost Asian technology is what they call it, right? Like on the fringe. I think mm-hmm. they are still getting it wrong, you know, like because they, are still dreaming the same dream. You know, they want to be like, oh, let's break down the whole you know contemporary narrative of things and let's introduce something new. And you're like, yeah, man, but the technology is what we're talking about today. You know, that's still believing in the Elon Musk and the Zuckerbergs of this world. You know, you're still believing yeah. in the technocrats. You you have yeah. changed nothing by saying mm-hmm. that there is some ancient technology. What if there wasn't ancient high technology? But rather, you know, the interesting question is not Could we build the pyramids today? The interesting Mm. question is, could you afford to build the pyramids today? And the answer is no. Like definitely Egypt at least could not build the pyramids today, like in terms of social engineering, in terms of like, you know, distributing labor and and, and acquiring resources. And, you know, economically speaking, it's impossible, which means Mm -hmm. that these people had a, a highly advanced method of making sure that people did what they wanted them to do like oh, yeah. I, I think it's even more interesting to think that the pyramids weren't built by slaves then it's more interesting you to can't. think that it yeah. that it's the ideological state apparatus, people
1: mm-hmm. built
2: the pyramids because they thought Arbeit macht frei you know they thought that <laughs> the building <laughs> yeah. things are gonna make yeah. us free and that's yeah. way more interesting than, than that they are slaves you know and that you needed a whip yeah. to do it. You know, right. it was the whip in the mind. <laughs> well, Brian say, you know, like, Hayden right says can... <laughs> something extremely
1: similar uh, in his, like, history, prehistory of religion book, right, which is written on a, yeah. a slightly more informal uh, register. It's really cool. You know, he's drawing on all encyclopedic knowledge of all these archaeological sites and ethnographic data and stuff. and uh, But writing yeah. at kind of an undergraduate level, it's really great. And he talks about, That's you good. can imagine, he's he's drawing on his undergraduate lectures a lot. He says... So he's basically arguing against kind of functionalist explanations for things, for religion specifically, right? Uh, See if you can get a bunch of people, you get them to believe in some kind of god or some kind of transcendent principle that wants them to pile up a bunch of heavy stones to build some kind of monument over there uh, on the campus or something, right? Uh, I bet you can't do it. I bet you however much money. Uh, But try now to uh, get them to believe in a system of rewards and punishments and they can benefit from this and that. You know, you have a multi-level marketing scheme, a pyramid scheme, as it were, uh, and then I bet you can do it. So I like the way that he points out that there has to be some kind of material reward. People have, you know, kind of self-interest in it, uh, investment buy-in or in some way, Right. But yeah, it's an ideological structure. It is an ideological structure. That's right. People aren't just getting building the pyramids because they believe in some high abstract metaphysics, uh, but they're also not just being whipped, right? Yeah. See, in order for us to survive as a species, uh, the way that things are happening, going ecologically these days and all the rest of that, hmm. uh, I think our challenge is probably yeah. to find a more kind of um, sustainable and kind of what cybernetically uh balanced and and
2: yeah i mean you need ideology somehow you know like you can't just live without ideology you know like the like the uh fukuyama you know idea of like the end of history the end of a narrative like that's that's depressing man and it's not only depressing it's psychotic yeah you can't just take away the, the the symbolic you know order of, of a person's, you know, personal or a nation's narrative and then think mm-hmm. that, you know, objective reality is going to appear because we took it away. No, what you get instead right. is, it's, radical psychosis, you know, because there isn't, again, these objects aren't talking, you know, they, they, yeah. you need a, a, a tale for people to, to, uh, to, in order for people to move around these objects, there's going to be yeah. like a story. And even you, you look at like the, the, the graffiti of the stones of the pyramid like you know that's on the backside that they found you know that were never shown to the world like you know and they weren't shown to anybody other than the people the workers there yeah. what they are writing is basically like you know this was a great gag you know like this was a, the best gig ever we like we drank oh, beer so and there was like here. yeah and there was yeah. like you know there was a festival you know it's like some kind of uh, oh, I, don't I don't know, know woodstock about- thing and then like, yeah, yeah, it's like they seem, I mean, I don't know if that's all I'm of so them, but still here, like this idea it. that, you know, that that, that that this was like a big thing that they, you know, were allowed, you know, if you don't have, you know, good artisanal bread in your hometown and you're living in some, you know, outskirt place of uh, of Egypt. And you've never really yeah. tasted beer or wine before. And then somebody's like, come on, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bring yeah. all the boys and come here. And we're going to oh, be, you know, yeah. we're going to be. <laughs> there's <laughs> that, a, there's a mean...
1: muromachi, uh, muromachi Monogatari called uh, Monokusataro or Lazy Taro, uh, which uh-huh. is about a very eccentric, uh, superhumanly lazy peasant. <laughs> who it has okay. to go up to the to Kyoto to the capital to do um yeah. you know the, his local village is asked to send someone to do service in the capital for on some project or other and uh you yeah. know they decide to send him of course cuz he's the legendarily lazy one then so uh but yeah. he this this turns out into this wonderful chance for him to blossom and and grow uh and it's I, I should take that up on the podcast sometime um yeah, reminding yeah, me sure.
2: Sounds Ah, like Liu Shun's story of Mr. A or AQ, like the guy who's like, who's kind of like lazy Uh, and and it's so funny because it's so Chinese, like where people would be like in one city, they have one word for a bench. And then in the other city like which is ten ten minutes away, there's another word for bench. And then he's like, Oh, such idiots. Like why oh, do they call the bench? Like a bench. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he's exactly. really lazy. Like, and he's so good at yeah. like yeah, he's like moving, you know, like a snake. Like you know, when 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 modernity and like Western modernity is the new thing, he's like, I've always been a Western modernist. And then like when it becomes like a blowback, and it's like, no, we should mm. you know adhere to the traditional Chinese rules. He's like, definitely, that's what I've always been saying. <laughs> and <then it's> like,
1: <laughs> Very dialectical, in a
2: certain yeah, yeah, way. yeah, 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 for sure. You've got a prime, you got prime prime know- nose for 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 the conditions. Yeah, you've reminded me Both. of so, of
1: the other kind of archaeological methodological point that i was trying to remember i, I thought you were gonna say from... uh,
2: i remind you of the lazy
1: worker <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh no okay. well yeah. that's me too yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. that's absolutely me. <laughs> um the uh, methodology kind of... yeah. yeah there's all kinds of work i should probably be doing at any given time but mm, fuck it. Sure. uh <laughs> I'm, I'm fortunate to be, you know. There's that saying. Uh, it comes from Chinese, right? Uh, keiko, keiko to naru to naru nakare. It's better to be the mouth of a chicken than the arse of an ox. Not that I'm the, not that I'm particularly high uh, standing in my university or anything, but just uh, being in a sleepy nope. place is kind of nice. Yeah. I'm in a sleepy little university.
2: For, for sure, and I like it for that sure. way. <laughs> Well, yeah. was that a big one, I'd have to, things. I'd
1: have m- many more responsibilities and everything. Uh, but I, yeah. I was thinking of this um, methodological question problem of sort of what mm-hmm. the, the history of an object, the history of an mm. object and, and what is the, it's a curatorial mm. question. Do you mm. try to re- return an object to some kind of original state? They initially mm. started to try to do this with Greco-Roman sculpture, you know. They hmm. tried to sculpt yeah. arms for the Venus de Milo. They tried to put, okay. you know, replace. Oh, we, she lost her arms. We got to put an arm there. Okay. Oh. we we'll put an arm. Yeah. Okay. Got to restore it. Uh, if you've got a, a head that is missing a nose, oh, we'll put a nose. You know, they sculpted noses. Yeah. They used to do this in the 19th century. Uh-huh. Or try to, oh, okay. you know. Um, and that would connect to the question of, do you restore the paints? We know now what the colors are for right. the Parthenon
2: friezes mm-hmm.
1: right? But do we curatorially do we choose? That to always freaks it? me out.
2: Yeah. When you see like the painting of, uh, uh, yeah. of things, like yeah. uh, when you see like how those statues that we all know like just being plain marble, and we see them like right. with, with paint, and uh, yeah, it looks very yeah, garish. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah you wonder like it's byodoin uh, in I mean... kyoto
1: as well you can also see um restorations of what the figures of the flying you know heavenly people uh mm-hmm. originally looked like and it's it's very garish a lot of the japanese yeah. aesthetic is just old temples that have fallen to ruin you know and that's all it is but yeah. uh the... so what my one among. of my teachers
2: oh what's mm-hmm I was saying that that makes me think of Rashomon. You know, when they're sitting in oh. the at that gate, right? The monk is mm-hmm. sitting by that old gate, and it's like it's. I think that is Heian period, or is it early Kamakura? And it's always yeah, nice it when you designed. have this kind of feng shui. Uh, Speaking of feng shui, uh, yeah, that's the
1: main gate of the <laughs> yeah. feng shui going to, the axis going straight north south from the front gate ah. of the palace. Uh, yeah. that goes straight down, and that's the gate leaving the capital now. Uh, but Heian okay. never, ever filled out, you know, they designed it to be a feng shui capital, but the whole western side of it never filled out. Only the eastern side okay. ended up populated. And then half uh-huh. of the warrior nobility, you know, when the warrior nobility grows, uh, you're not supposed to have arms, weapons, actual like uh, political and the kind of secret society dynamics, actually, that the like Inse, mm. the rule by retired sovereigns. Right. You would have an emperor yeah. who retires in favor of his, abdicates in favor of his child, Aww. you know, young boy. That's, that's, that sounds sister, like sacred society. And uh, then runs. And yeah. And so rulers. those guys, uh, they're all tight with the warlords and uh, mm-hmm. they're they're also d- having big parties and uh, debauchery and, and so on that you can't do in the capital because that's a kind of sacred space. You can't have armies. Yeah. No soldiers can be in the capital. Um, right. So actually the The whole area outside the capital to the east becomes really de facto, the sort of other half of the capital. Uh, and that's where all the sort of um, secret, not secret, but, you know, just private mansions of these elite who yeah. are maybe really running things, they all end up over yeah. there. Um, yeah.
2: All those but, old uh, Buddhist schools as well, they become the accountants, right? Which is strange, you know, like when you think like... Oh, cool. ...Buddhist, like... Tell me about Yeah, that. like the Kamakura period schools, like they were also like the first to um to get connect with the uh, uh the foreign traders in in nagasaki because oh, sure. uh there was like you know like an uh, embargo right like during Rosa. that time couldn't be uh, uh trading between china and uh and japan and uh, so they made use well the rulers of japan and china made use of the uh, of the missionaries and the europeans right to, in, to order to trade between each other but also the missionaries and the Europeans made use of the um, uh, of the uh, Buddhist accountants because they were like oh. the most uh, uh, literate and they were the ones who like were counting in numbers, you know, like if you read old sutras, it's mm. filled with like, you know, esoteric numbers and like auspicious numbers and stuff. And so mm-hmm. they had, like, you know, all the big uh, daimyos uh, would have, like, uh, somebody from the Sen school or, or the uh, mm-hmm. uh, Ippens uh, school or Yodo Shinshu or I guess Shingon mostly, ah, right, right? Because right. it's usually considered as an aristocratic school. That yeah. would be even more
1: yeah. characteristic of a slightly earlier period before the Europeans come. Um, t- Taira no yeah, I
2: think. Yeah,
1: yeah Taira no Kiyomori, the, the sort of anti hero of the Tale of the Heike. Right. The leader of the PK clan. That I don't gets, know the story, you know, but destroyed. Yeah. And uh, but one of the things that he was doing was trading with China quite a lot, which just mm-hmm. just it's not quite that there was an embargo. Just traditionally in East Asia, trading is just not something that you're supposed to do in a grain state. You know, the state is just right. Just Confucian and,
2: ethics is even like merchants yeah. are lower than peasants. Right. Yeah.
1: yeah. I it's, mean it's something that almost uh, <laughs> yeah. shouldn't really be happening, but but it was happening. That's a big thing of that Amino Yoshihiko always talks about. His big thing is right. like we should think about Hyaksho peasants as being not just no mean, you know, farmers. They're not just mm-hmm. farmers. Right. They yeah. actually were doing finance. They were doing trading, mm-hmm. shipping, they were doing yeah. uh all different things that he finds.
2: Yeah. And then like uh, purification of their commodities as well. Like the things we usually associate with like guilds and stuff in Europe, Mm -hmm. like the Mm -hmm. artisanal guilds. uh, Yeah. That's kind of like, yeah, they did that. Like, I mean, they, they would have like, you know, like uh, work quotas and stuff, like rotational work quotas. And, and so it wasn't like segregated in the same way. And then you also have like the pirates who were like doing a lot of like, you know, who established the first, uh, you know, trade connections in in the, uh, in this area. And then you yeah. know obviously you know they have their daimyo and their local warlord who they are connected to and they are like you mm-hmm. know doing the unofficial confucian work of uh, <laughs> being yeah. traders or merchants i guess
0: someone told me long ago there's a calm before the storm i know It's been coming for some time When it's over, so they say It'll rain a sunny day I know Shining down like water I want to know have you ever seen the rain? I wanna know have you ever seen the rain coming down on a sunny day?
1: I was the, the this issue of the history of an object seems like a really great mm.
2: place to kind of wrap up yeah, or whatever that's where right? we started right um, that's where capital starts <laughs> yeah
1: yeah yeah so many yards of linen um yeah. there's uh, there is a uh a shrine on to the a shrine to um is it Sarasvati, the goddess of music as mm-hmm. as ben ten so the, there's a Benten ten Do in uh On an island in the middle of Lake Biwa. That's that lake that's to the east of Kyoto. Yeah. And Uh in that shrine, there is a... The the shrine, the central shrine of it, is actually a repurposed mausoleum to Hideyoshi's first son, who died at age three or something, Stay Maru. Uh And there was this restoration done on it that sort of restored quote unquote that shrine to the more sort of the original state of it as the tamaya or the mausoleum of stemaru the son of hideyoshi Mm -hmm. but i have a colleague who wrote a whole book about this shrine and the way that the complicated sort of issues that that raises of like curation returning something Mm -hmm. to its original state Yeah, because, um, you know, and this is a perennial thing, uh, you know, some of the vampire hunters uh, that the kind of more um, Abrahamically focused uh, people around which you and I both kind of orbit in the podcasting world, perhaps, uh, are often they were really surprised what it was. It's a big thing among them uh, when they found out that that Stonehenge is a restoration job have standing those yeah standing those stones up in the way that they are uh Mm -hmm. is something that was done maybe late 19th century and with steel you know in it and uh yeah another case would be all of japan's castles at this point i i went and visited the last standing bit of castle that is original Mm -hmm to the Edo period, I don't think there's anything left from the actual medieval, late medieval period when these experiments were first done. In Kumamoto, I think,
2: there was one part of Kumamoto oh, Castle. I went to Kumamoto la- two, three weeks ago, I think. Oh, no, wait, wait, Kumamoto is... Uh, Kyushu. That's in Kyushu, right? Yeah, now Kumano Kumano City is where I went. It, in oh, well, that's that's uh, much more mild
1: stomping grounds on the Key Peninsula there. Okay. Right, Fantastic. it's like
2: the oldest... Uh, the the oldest uh, um, not Shingon uh, Shinto right the oldest yeah oldest shrines uh, they they say
1: many I mean different places claim it
2: but yeah the the three sacred
1: mountains of Kumano yeah I totally did pilgrimages there I did you know Shugendo in those mountains oh yeah nice
2: yeah yeah it's Um, a nice place
1: yeah well but I was in that that last bit of Kumamoto Castle and then that promptly Mm -hmm. fell down in an earthquake uh, a few weeks later actually oh really the one yeah, in kumamoto was in there in kumamoto yeah it was Whoa. in there a couple cool. of weeks before it fell uh but yeah, everything nice. else is steel reinforced concrete osaka castle yeah. nagoya castle every fucking one it's uh yeah. 20th century steel reinforced uh yeah. reconstruction yeah. and you know that that whole castle trend there was really just based on fantastical buildings that people had seen in chinese monochrome ink paintings
2: you know landscape paintings. yeah right
1: yeah yeah. And it wasn't Which really
2: a practical more building. fantasy than anything
0: yeah 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 exactly they, they,
2: they weren't like yeah. yeah they weren't impressionists painting and it wasn't what like aging look like uh,
1: it wasn't like practical like uh, actual you know would stand up to siege warfare you know it's, it's a symbol of power and cultural yeah. capital
2: it seems often to me, like those castles are like, they're out of order, like like out of, you know, the, like the order of history, like when you go there and look at it and you're like, it's be the easiest place to just lay a siege on it and like, you know, disallow yeah. any kind of, you know, Like, you just wait one week, they're going to come out on their own. Like, you don't have to rush this place or anything. (laughs) And they often have this mound that is definitely more aesthetic than it is, you know, something that, you know, is going to inhibit somebody from coming close to it. And uh, and the gardens and everything, obviously, like, yeah.
1: Yeah, when you're actually, like, preparing for siege warfare, you're going to see something like Castel Sant'Angelo, where you have all the angles and the crevices that people have to come into and be trapped. Mm -hmm.
2: No, no. Yeah. I mean, exactly. These like, are, yeah.
1: Yeah. Historically, these are warlords who had already solidified their power, and these, they're building these things as corn, sort of, you know, testaments to their achieved uh, power. Yeah. At this point, as a fantastical art object, look at this fancy, fantastical thing. That yeah. looks Like something out of a, out of a Chinese painting, right?
2: I was thinking, you know, with, uh, you know, like there's this movement, like r- around the time of Mussolini. Uh, right. Like a kind of futurist uh, movement, like in poetry, especially where they are like trying to paint a really nice, glorified picture of what war is like, and oh. it's something similar, I think. You know, like when you have like this second generation or third or fourth, you know, the ancestral generations of uh, big warlords, and they want to, you know, express in architecture what they think war is like, and you know what they've read, writ- you know, read in in the poetry of what war is like, and they want to create something aesthetic that kind Mm -hmm. of, you know, makes war look, you know, quite beautiful. Like, I mean, the whole, I mean, it's so brutal, right? Like the whole thing, the whole, uh, I don't know what it's, it's uh, in the 1400, 1500, right? Like when the big samurai wars are, yeah. And it just seems like, I mean, if you, you know, if you look at it with like, you know, the, uh, they live ideology glasses, And you don't have any, like, you know, alt-right fetishism of, like, what a samurai is actually like, then it just looks like, you know, brutal gang warfare. Like, like just, you know, people (laughs) just killing each other, killing their Mm -hmm. brothers, killing their best friends, just raping and pillaging. And it's just like, how could this ever be made, you know, to be used as some kind of ideal for anything? You know, this should be the, Mm. if anything, the beginning of any great golden era is what Mm -hmm. Actually, they say that the medieval or the intermediate periods are supposed to be like, you know, like this kind of anarchy, like, no, the anarchy comes when you start to, you know, when you want to make an end to one of these intermediate periods, and you want to do something else. That's when that's when you do what you say will happen when you are no longer there. Somehow, right? Like, it's a
1: primitive accumulation. <laughs> and the intermediate periods often tend to be the the most peaceful. That's uh, you know, Amino right. Yoshihiko's subtitle to Muen Kugairaku is, you know, uh Nihon Chusei ni okeru jiyu to heiwa. You know, freedom is and peace. Is there an English in... title for
2: that one? It
1: it's Sorry. only been translated on. certain chapters into English. I think you can get those on JSTOR. I'll send them your way. I'll put them on the Discord. Yeah. Um yeah, the so yeah, Freedom and Peace in Medieval Japan. Yeah, his whole thing is that, like, you know, this is a more peaceful period. And that would line up with the chapter in uh, Against the Grain about periods of collapse being much better for most people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and well, Oleg Benesh has this great the great book on um, inventing the way of the samurai on the way that that all okay. was invented, brought together. There's a book on yeah. Latin letters under Mussolini. I don't remember the title, but it talks about an inscription that was buried under one of those monuments you're talking about. There was like it's like under it's in, not in a place you can see, uh, mm-hmm. but it says, yeah. you know, uh, in it's Latin. Sort of sort of how, how, what an yeah. epic! We're up to some we're we're doing all the epic bacon uh, fascism here, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so well, you know, yeah, th- there's this question yeah. of like original the the history of an object, right? Um and certainly it was industrialists and it was the, the most demonic kind of English people that were uh putting <laughs> yeah. setting up Stonehenge again, right? Um, yeah. I mean you have is, the same so thing in, in the
2: the pyramids, right? Like that's the only like not the only one, but I really like that that angle of the French archaeologist when they talk about, you know I mean to me advanced technology like cogwheels they are not that advanced. Like, I mean, but at the same time, cogwheels, you can do a lot, like with cogwheels. Oh, if you have, yeah. uh, you know, if you have like the right, uh, social methods of domination and you, you, you can make people do what you want them to do. And then if you can make right. those people more effective, cogwheels, you know, definitely, definitely mm-hmm. something interesting. And there are these, you know, uh, they look like mounts, uh, molds for some kind yeah. of cogwheel that are outside the yeah. red pyramid I think you know that they uh-huh. also lined up uh would they, have had they made an to an look automata? now uh yeah i mean that's yeah. basically what i think the french uh, archaeologists are suggesting because they are put in a context of being you know sacrificial vessels by the the archaeologists of the 19th uh, century uh, who lined them up next to each other where they were actually found as you would have found them let's say on a construction site you know one over here and one over there and you know huh. that they were some kind of uh, mold for for cogwheels um, for casting gears yeah that's that's what they really do look like to be honest Yeah, uh, and it's it's yeah it's hard to imagine them as uh, as as just uh, blood uh, sacrificial yeah. vessels or, or whatever and 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 yeah i mean that's uh, when they do these things you know they want to recreate they are creating. They aren't just mm-hmm. recreating. You know, they are making producing something, something new, something that they want. Uh, you know, and that they hope for. You know what those cogwheels also suggest beyond just the techn- te- technicality of it is um, what we already touched upon now when we're talking about. You know, uh, when I'm in Yoshi, Yoshi, Yoshihiko, yeah, Yoshihiko, yeah, yeah. when he talks about you know like not just reading the peasants as as peasants, but actually being Part of a much large, much larger um, network of specialization. Mm-hmm. Like when yeah, they're not like, only farmers. Today, yeah, they're not only farmers. The way that the and, and the way this, that the feudal ideology sort of says they are. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, like you are this, and yeah. uh, um, I think division of labor is something really interesting because division of labor mm. is basically how does then these old. I mean we know that you know the Greeks did have uh, steam engines right like to open and close doors of the uh, yep. of some of their temples to make it look like mm-hmm. they just did and you know so the technology yeah i mean this has been pointed out by many uh-huh. the technology for capitalism is already there but right. what's isn't there is the social aspect of it and the social aspect of it is yes. the division of labor yes and this you know how how did they not you know like I don't know, like there's something different happening in Japan, you know, like where they don't quite see this, you know, like they don't quite see how when you listen to, you know, any economist today, like in a liberal, it's all about specialization and it's all about like, you know, uh-huh. they love it. Like, you know, like uh-huh. you do this and you're this, like it's very fascist, right. <laughs> like you're <Right>. just this. <laughs> and, uh, right. whereas they had something else, you know, a, a much more fluid kind of division of labor, like even Lenin it's is against while, yeah. this, right? In the, in the beginning of, um, uh, in the beginning of uh, 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 the Soviet uh, uh, experiment, or like, you know, right before the the mm. uh, the new econo- the NEP, right? Before yeah, the, yeah. Uh, he, he has this long rant within the uh, uh, Standing People Congress. I don't know, that's a Maoist term, but I, I can't remember what they call it in the Soviet Union. <laughs> uh, within the Standing People Congress, they have this kind of Leninist furious with these people who wants to have, you know, one department for every single thing. You know, and it's like, why do you need that? You know, why do you need to have like, you know, I am, you know, uh, whatever, like grain agriculturalist, economist, uh, uh, minister, Mm. you know, like, why can't we have something more? You know, we need we know that we need to connect and, you know, we need to make dialectical, you know, work happen, you know, which means that we need to interact. We can't have interpositivity that is liberal. You know, like you just do what you do and I just do what I do. And and mm. uh, uh, I don't know. You like, have the problem of the specialist,
1: the right? The specialist. Yeah. that's actually very far-sighted because if you create a, a class of specialists, the people with the specialized knowledge are gonna all very often sort of mil- militate in undemocratic directions and unsocialist definitely. directions. Yeah, yeah. That, that that's what happens right? later. Yeah. yeah,
2: somebody becomes too self-conscious of you know just what kind of power they are allotted and uh, Mm. they start to realize that other people aren't a lot of the same kind of power and at the same time there is no movement right like there is too clear of a distinction in the division of labor there's a line demarcation line which means Mm. that you know and this is isn't this kind of like Graeber's original you know uh, thought in the uh, dawn of everything that you know these people and these early you know the ones of the kingless generation you know that you like to Mm. talk about what doesn't happened mm. or like what they made actually it is something does which does happen like that mm. that mm. the uh, that they successfully made sure that a division of labor a strict division of labor couldn't take place right like you yeah. that you did you had this kind of uh, you know one half of the year we are sedentary and we stay in this one place and then we go out hunting and mm. we leave this planned economy of gathering behind and we do something else and you know that things are oh, the seasonality changing. is interesting yeah yes yeah. the seasonality the nature itself forces upon you to be more dynamic if you like yeah you know that that you can't have this uh, structure forever you know you gotta mm-hmm. change with the winds and uh like you said uh initially i think what was it that you said uh um now it's, it escapes me but you did mention something about this you know that when they move, uh, when they when they change in their means of production, you know they are moving.
3: Hmm.
2: You know, in, according to our reason, they are moving back and forth in history. You know, they are yeah. they are disobeying, You know, the age of empire chronology of of history as you know one stage leading to another stage because they had yeah, seen yeah. it before. You know, like right. that's what they what Graber is suggesting. You know that there you have to. You know, recognized the political consciousness of these people that they had seen it before. They knew what it was that they did not want to take place again, which is a kind of specialization and a, and a strict division of labor. Where, as you you know said, talking about Lenin and what he also you know f- foresaw, was that some people are going to understand quickly uh-huh. what their allotment is, and they're going to make sure that you know their allotted uh, part. It's really get my. This so, is a game here. I can get in on and get my beak wet. Uh, collect yeah. this and try
1: to accumulate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: And so you need definitely you need some politically conscious uh, effort. You know, like on the most elementary level that they give an example of is like yeah the the gatherers uh, the hunter gatherers in in Africa. I can't remember where they are exactly, but who have this kind of shaming ritual of. Mm-hmm. uh you know, uh, making sure that, you know, people who are really good hunters shouldn't think that they are all that, you know, like we can oh, yeah. get
1: by, we can get Insulting by without, the meat. You, you
2: know, yeah, that's a, that yeah. happens in like, Southern yeah. Africa sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, and that's so necessary. You know, we think of it as maybe something, you know, banal, but no, like even Marx yeah. talk about that, right? Like when he talks about what does it actually mean to inscribe on the banner from each according to their need? Uh, no sorry from each according to their ability to each according to their need what he's you know talking about is a kind of social you know back and forth about what is the value of this what is the value of that you know that it is not only you know like what is it that i get wrong like on the market right like where where i mean that is the peak of the division of labor where where there's a foreign all conscious omnipotent entity that's we assume knows the value of all things, and you know it mm. has this kind of like Lacan called it like yeah the perspective of the latter days or something. You know like this. Uh, oh. It's not only like utilitarian because utilitarian would be use value strictly speaking mm. in economics, which isn't what the market is about, right? So right. there's got to be something bigger than bigger than the utilitarianism of of the bourgeoisie. Yeah. It's got to be this, you know, finally. Well, in the judgment of the latter days, there is this entity called the market who did know what things were Mm. worth. But Marx, you know, points out that like, well, it just tells you when something has gone above it and when something has gone below it. Who said initially what it was in the first place? You know, what is the position that it went above and what is the position that it went below? And of course, we know like it has something to do with labor. But labor is a social term because it's like, mm. you know, how, how you know, how, how hard do you think that this is? You know, like in Swedish, we have so many words for, Socially you know, necessary for, labor for, time. For, for, yeah, we have so many words for like what work is that, you know, yeah. in, you know, it's it's suggested already. Labor doesn't sound, make the sound, you know, doesn't, it sounds neutral mm. in English, but we have like, you know, job and jobit. Yeah. Jobit means that something is annoying or that something is, you know, that is a burden on you. But one person yeah. might think that job bit is something else because, you know, they're well-equipped mm-hmm. or they fancy doing that. You know, we are different, right? And, and uh, The other day, I just doesn't... finally
1: learned the Japanese
2: term for the gig
1: economy, which is job economy. <laughs> job economy. <laughs> the job yeah. economy, yeah. Um, because yeah. part-time work, so part-time they call Arbeit, right? So, <laughs> right the German word yeah. which is hmm?
2: yeah, yeah. Why is German it? word I, in English pronunciation actually <laughs> this you know this is not really what division of labor is I think like you know that you think that something is hard work and I think you know I quite fancy doing that you know like uh, let's say you know uh, let, let's you know something that you really like if to you're do. a silkworm like, spinning silk is just uh, what you do yeah. it's a natural yeah. gift of nature just... that comes out of you yeah Naturally. Yeah. And on a social level, we would say, you know, well, the really story I would say like that has something to do with, uh, you know, divine inspiration, which we usually associate with uh, artists, right? Like that. Uh, well, mm. I really do like painting. Whereas a person who's an accountant would hate painting because he doesn't know how to do it. And he would feel, you know, burdened with doing that. Whereas he might have, you know, some Asperger or some autistic mm. spectrum, uh, you know, inclination to really figure out numbers and then it would be good that he does that but mm-hmm. division of labor doesn't take this social consideration into account right it just assumes yeah. that maybe maybe it will be like that that you know you do what you ought to do and you do what you ought to do uh, i mean of mm-hmm. course on the fascist level they they don't only hope for it they they try to write it in you know as a kind of destiny right like the old confucian tradition in china is to give yeah. uh, a character name to, to a person that has something to do with what you're supposed to do. You know, like the the ultimate destiny is to follow the meaning of your character. That is your name. But, uh, but that,
1: it's nice that you can always change the characters of your name too later on to fit to, yeah. you know, the fact they yeah. they'll, they'll fudge it later if it doesn't work. But yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. You picked the wrong thing at that ceremony when you were a kid, yeah. you know, and you were supposed to pick the brush or the wallet. <laughs> and then it's like, <laughs> oh, right. Fuck, yeah. you picked the brush. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, the vision of labor isn't uh, the social consideration of mm. uh, what you you know, feel like doing. Let's, I mm. don't know how to put it, but you know, it's, it's something else. It's something superimposed that just right. want to make sure, I think, that there isn't uh, collaboration. You know, I don't know. What does uh, the anarchist really like to use the uh, mutual aid term, right? Which, yeah. I mean, it's a good term, I think. Right. But the division of right. labor is like the antithesis of that you know it's mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. you well
1: there's got to be i bet there's a whole field i bet there's a whole field and it doesn't i, I would because uh, street when in terms of revolutionary strategy you, for quite a while for quite a while this is, is gonna you're not going to be able to just the day after the revolution say okay everybody doesn't have to do anything they don't feel like doing anymore Yeah, right? wouldn't you work either. no you, you're gonna have to have some kind of you know period of building socialism necessarily under some kind of discipline. And then of course there, mm-hmm. historically it's always been about um battling the tendency toward capitalist restoration, right? Mm-hmm. Restoration of class yeah. society. Yeah. However, yeah. people do figure these things out. And um yeah. I wish I could be a dungist. I can't, you know, quite finish it. <laughs> but uh <laughs>
2: Man, yeah. don't I get me started on this, like, <laughs> but still, yeah. you know,
1: I mean, it's at least really, really good. Um, you know, who I can really maybe get behind, uh, almost unreservedly is the many, many smaller, uh, actually existing decolonial socialist projects that are benefiting yep. so much from the multipolarity in the space that is being opened up by America's uh, retreat from the. Mm -hmm. from global hegemony unipolar global hegemony right and however whatever the nature of russia and china or india these other countries that might be pushing america off the stage in that way or edging on as well uh Mm -hmm. those little guys that are having space opened up to do all kinds of things that they've always been trying to do that's fantastic yeah
2: yeah i'm really happy to that. I mean, yeah, because there's also like, you know, the structure. I mean, I don't I I I think what, you know, the anarchists might get wrong in 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 the idea of like mutual aid is is you know the uh negligence of, of structure. Because structure mm. does make sure that at least, you know, you don't have to go out and find uh like the counterpart of your labour, you know, like the buyer, right? It's already yeah. put into place and so you know you know let's say you do know what you want to do and you do that well the next step is then to make sure that there's somebody on the receiving end right whereas a structure Mm -hmm. would would allow for that like and it doesn't have to be well it's something like a market but it's also like you know insofar that the market did exist of course before there was class society you know like there's been barter and there's been you know other and there's, you know, games, of gambling course, like... games mm-hmm.
1: that, that circulate yeah. shells and things across continents, right?
2: Right. And then there's so much more, you know, we shouldn't eliminate all the social interaction in these things just because we want no. to feel, you know, that we didn't get ripped off. You know, that's what mm-hmm. the market does for the ego. I think like uh, fundamentally that it doesn't mm-hmm. hurt your narcissism because you can be like, well, I know what this is actually worth, you know, yeah. whereas... Socially speaking, it's part of you know something more like a, like a story, or like you said just now, you know, like a game. Somebody won because mm-hmm. they are were good at something completely unrelated. Let's say you know oh, putting yeah. a bowl into a hoop or something. But yeah. you know why not allow that kind of uh, uh, stochasticism yeah. <laughs> into the determining of, of of the value of the object? Maybe uh, a
1: paleo Leninist like... socialist transition could proceed on the basis of a. <laughs> A robust <laughs> ecosystem of competing secret societies forms, you know trade yeah. guilds yeah. guilds of yeah. various things, people who paint people who you know whatever yeah, and they would have festivals to compete, and you know can have certain kinds hmm. of competition among them um, competition that that ultimately serves to dissipate energies of of accumulation and and yeah right. division of yeah labor, like this thing
2: right. the one who is proud and things like that, you know, or like you know yeah. maybe dissing the one who has the most and being like, Well, you have the most, but you have the most of that, which is least worth <laughs> or yeah. you know like yeah there's right. nothing exclusive about the things that you have i mean mm-hmm. that's my i don't know, I think that's my uh um most uh uh guilty pleasure to imagine that mm. like when like planned economy like the initial, like, pre-class society. Like, I want to imagine that there was some, you know, Graeber and them talk about it, but they don't use the word natural farming. Like, so, because I'm a natural farmer. So i like to believe Mm -hmm. that there was something, like, I already talked about it with the Aborigines and how they domesticated landscapes, right? That there was Mm -hmm. some kind of planned economy in association with what we will later call agriculture uh, or farming, but which was a kind of, you know, it didn't involve domestication. But rather, it Mm. must have been something that was very mobile. And I I don't know, like there's one fringe archaeologist in South Africa who is batshit crazy most of the times. Like, you know, he believes in giants and and things like that. But he has drawn attention to one really interesting thing, which is something Mm. that he calls the Adam's calendar. And the Adam's calendar, I don't know if you heard about that. Like, uh, no. there's a lot of talk, like, uh, on the fringe I call archaeology in that world about what the Adam's calendar is. Mm. The uh, assessment of how old it is, I thought it was pretty sound because there is one stone where a chip of that stone has fallen off and it's lying right next to it which means that the stone must have been put up before that stone fell off it, right? Like, otherwise somebody would have taken both the chip and the stone and then put it next to it just to make it look mm-hmm. like that, which is, you know, I, I find that hard to believe. Mm. And they've done two different kind of methods of uh, uh, then assessing the age by uh, measuring the, uh, um, what do you call that kind of mushrooming? Carbon in English, The ones that. No, 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 no! Not carbon dating. Mm. The the mushroom that grows on stones, you know the the oh, l- okay. uh, lichen. Uh, you, 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 lichen. Yeah, lichen. The lichen regrowth, <laughs> the lichen regrowth in the area where the chip would have been. They used that to determine the age, and they've also used the uh, the general sedation due to weather yeah. of that stone kind, and mm-hmm. they've estimated that this calendar is probably between 25,000 years old or maybe as old as 75,000 years old. And I'm like, okay, that opens up a really long period of like, how long was the period that people were Mm -hmm. playing around with the Mm -hmm. idea of agriculture, but still not yet domesticating things? And were they Mm -hmm. still, you know, relied upon it? In terms of like a planned economy, and they were walking mm-hmm. around and they were, you know, guiding their, uh, you know, it wasn't just mindless wandering around finding some berries here or some barriers there. I mean, they were pretty, I think, pretty good at like, you know, calculating when we should be in one place and when we mm-hmm. should get, a- get away from that one place. Yeah. And also, I would imagine that you have some kind of division of labor since they're in the world of, you know, of growing things. There is mm. such a huge spectrum of like you know fruits and, and perennials and annuals and and you know herbs and vegetables and, and and so I would imagine that you know some people must have considered themselves you know in our society we really like uh, bananas or you know in our society we we really like uh, gourds of different kinds or you know we are people who really mm-hmm. like uh, um, uh, berries of various sorts and I think uh what you know this sounds very sublime and very sophisticated but mm-hmm. the thing is that these calendars and he had made some kind of uh um uh, assessment of like how many there could be in South Africa by simply using uh Google Maps and it's mm-hmm. supposed to be like the official archaeological explanation is that these uh, lithic structures are the foundations of um, herd uh, uh, encampments during the 1600 by some uh, pastoralist community that went to South America I can't quite remember who they were but uh, they don't really look like what you know these herders uh, encampments for for cattle look like today which you know aren't made with stone at all and they also structurally don't you know that doesn't make any sense the thing is sure they could have been that but you know then it could be because they reused something that they didn't understand like the pastoralists don't care as much about the calendar that a planned economist of agriculture mm. or natural farming once cared about, and so they have right. made use of like this old structure and mm. here's the old thi- here's the odd thing like talking about something sublime then you know when you want to talk, start thinking about you know well what what was the story that they told themselves about you know the movement of the stars and this kind of you know the the proto ideology of things you know from which All religions come from, uh, I think at least, you know, that they must have been looking at the stars and they had a calendar Mm. and they could recognize the movement of a certain star over thousands of years. And, and, you know, that gave credit to their own lineages as people. Now these calendars, they are all made on gold mines. Today we find that they are all positioned on gold mines, which, you know, makes me think that, you know, why You know, I I know that, for example, one thing is interesting that, you know, when you in areas where there are gold mines, different things grow because you have something, for example, colloquial silver. I can't remember colloquial silver that I know that cannabis growers really like because you can use it to make feminized seeds, for example. And so metal plays a big role like in how things grow. But I would also suggest maybe that um, maybe they knowingly put their calendars on top of gold mines. Not because as we today think of gold as a means of exchange or value. later in the you know, yeah, or value in the terms of maybe yeah. some also use value in terms of jewellery. But that they still they still put value into it, but in terms of like knowledge, right? Like that these mm-hmm. calendars would have been gathering points where we speak gold to each other and we tell you uh-huh. like go that direction for two years, you're gonna be finding some, you know that's going to be a nice trail of you know uh, semi-cultivated you know food forests that we've been setting up and you know we would mm-hmm. like to explore a little bit what you've been doing down there in the south and they will share that and tell them like how to move and what landmarks to look for in their exploration exploration and and their journey and uh i don't know like that <laughs> you know if that is what the division of labor is in Monumental. the social idea yeah <laughs> you know the like best that, that, sense. that to me that is the best possible sense of 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 you know these places being temples and universities and stockpiles of golden oh, yeah. information of uh-huh. how to find forward movement for your planned economy
1: <laughs> <laughs> all
2: right
1: you <laughs> yeah. reminded me i i had a uh, that's fantastic um i had a a science teacher who once taught me i think that uh, lichen is actually a plant and a fungus living together and lichen it. Uh, it this little <laughs> joke. Um, that, no, it seems to be like a compound organism, uh, like a Portuguese man o' war or something. It's actually two things uh, living in symbiosis.
2: Don't get me started on the symbiosis of fungus and like you know microbiology <laughs> because it's like that. That like it's like that's, that's maybe we'll save that for man. next time.
1: <laughs> yeah. We Maybe should. we'll save that for next time That's... this is i'm so grateful for your taking time away from your baby
2: and oh, uh my apologize my yeah.
1: apologies to your family uh yeah i be fine I hope we can do this again soon
2: yeah I, I i loved being on your show man i liked it it's i like so i really fun. like listening to you and uh Likewise. yeah yeah now it's like the kobayashi that I, I left for a while because, you know, I've never met anybody who's, you know, read Kobayashi. I really like uh, the Kanikosen story. Yeah. Uh, and, it, um, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm not an expert the... on that by any means, but um,
1: I'm no, very interested. But still there's, there's more. Kuroshima Denji is one that I want to bring in pretty soon. Yeah, All I right. can't decide what I should do next. I suppose I'm... Is that available in allow... English? Yeah, yeah. There's a flock of swirling crows is is oh. um yeah it's about the siberian it's like an anthology it's an anthology of short stories and the the story that it's named after it takes place in the siberian invasion of of japan right which lasted the longest and they were snooping around looking for mm-hmm. oil right at the same time that they were invading in support of the white russians against the bolsheviks in the russian revolution yeah yeah um very opposite kind of, of people... uh, monumentality,
2: finding buried oil is yeah.
1: what you were talking about.
2: There's one native people up there. It's not the Ainu. It's one like who lives in the Hokkaido, and I think it's ah. a little bit eerie because I looked at like official Japanese statistics, and one of uh, there was like a pretty consistent uh, uh, taking of accounts of how many of these people existed. Because Uh they were also recognized by the Soviet Union. And so they had to be counted by Japan. And then suddenly in 1989, there is no more records of these people. Because they no longer had the the imperative of the Soviet Union to account for how many of them there were. Which makes me think, you know, what happened to them? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, but uh, yeah thank you so much you know thank you thank so you. Much for, for and welcome your, i guess sort of like uh,
1: should i say welcome to japan you are you know like a uh yeah a, a, a china wanderer yeah come yeah. here and uh by yeah. chance you have come to perhaps the um a much worse country to be in in the near future i should think but um
2: <laughs> yeah maybe that's uh but i, you I all speak chinese so family. If uh, mm-hmm. something happens, I just go back to the. Oh, you can just talk you know? to them when they come, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Get out of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's right. good to be in the countryside. Yeah. I envy you
1: that. Um, yeah. I look for next time, maybe you can say more about uh, Pure Land Buddhism,
2: about Chinese things. Um, yeah. We'll have a lot about, to talk uh, about. She's a na- know ho and like how I connect uh, Pure Land Buddhism oh, to farming. A... And yeah. Absolutely. Hopefully, by the next time, I will have started, you know, maybe my farm. Uh, we're looking right. at a place now, as I told you in the beginning, in uh, uh, Shino, and I'm really looking forward to grow, like, some of the ancient grains. You know, we talk, we, we hate upon the, uh, you know, the grain society, but I'm thinking, you know, fight fire with fire, and I'm going to grow no, these the are old pharaoh ones... grains. Yeah. <laughs> hie,
1: hie, yeah. awa, kibi, I mean, the the different kinds of millet. There's all different kinds oh. of millet that... Um, we're not subject to taxation, so that would be the, a kind of resistance grain. Actually, that peasants would be cultivating oh. for times of uh,
2: scarcity. Yeah, I have some millet yeah. coming up. In in Swedish, we call millet korn, uh, which sounds like corn, uh, oh, okay. but it means it means pebble of grain. I think like yeah. uh, it's like a an, a unit of measurement. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so I I will get some evolutionary strains of uh, of millet. Uh, definitely. And then the other ones like einkorn and spelt and emmer and durum and
3: mm-hmm.
2: see what awesome. I can do. And then you can get some uh, nice, you know, artisanal uh, uh, flour later and you can do some sa- sourdough bread wait. or something, maybe. Yeah. All right.
1: <laughs> so that was a fantastic, wide ranging conversation. Quite a seminar, a little seance there with Marcus. Uh, Thanks again to Marcus. Check out his podcast, The Return of the Repressed. I think uh, Spotify is where I can find that these days. Uh, And check it out. He has a a Patreon as well, so check that out. Um, If you're not a member of the Kingless Generation, uh, head on down to patreon.com slash irregnata. That's unruled in Latin, feminine, singular. And uh, for a low, low price, you can get access to the Discord Historical materials mentioned in this episode and in many other episodes are actually up there uh, in ways that don't break copyright law, I, pr- I promise, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so head on down, come on in. Uh, the water's fine. I'm Fergal Schmudlock, and I have anointed you with the anointing of the Kingless Generation. <laughs>
0: There's a place up ahead And I'm going Just as fast as my feet Can fly Come away, come away If you're going Leave the sink Kingship ship behind Come on the rising wind We're going up around the bend Bring a song and a smile for the banjo Better get while well, the getting's good Hitch a ride to the end of the highway where the neons turn to wood, come on the rising wind. We're coming up around the bend. <laughs>